0: And now, here's Gene
1: Steinberg. This is the first time, actually the second time that the PowerCast has actually done a remote show. Right. But you weren't here for the first one. No. No. I was at this UFO event in Lachlan, Nevada or Las Vegas or somewhere, and I first met Nick Redfern, and we did 30 minutes together. So now you're the voice of this event. Tell us quickly before we introduce our guests what that means.
2: Well, yeah, Open Minds, John Rao, uh, they... Somehow lassoed me to be the, um, I guess the uh, figure that's doing the updates every day. The figurehead. The, well, yeah, in, figuratively speaking, um, I've been doing the the web updates on Facebook and on the Open Mind site, kind of round, you know, doing roundups at the end of the day. So, oh boy, it's a tough job having a big pointy head with all these hats on it. But well, I have to tell you, when I look, take your hat off, I can see that the resemblance is striking. Yeah, just call me Zippy.
1: Okay, in addition to Zippy, we've got Richard Dolan, an old friend of ours, and this is maybe the second or third time we've actually met in person. Yeah, that's right, Gene. Nice to be on. You have a new book that you came out with recently called After Disclosure. What's the focus of that?
3: Well, it's, um, I think it's the first book of its kind in uh, the UFO field, and really what I try to do, along with my co-author, Bryce Zabel, is to uh, see and envision the world as it might turn out, After we gain some admission of the reality of UFOs, let's put it that way. So after there's a disclosure of the reality of this phenomenon, what happens next? And that's really what this book is an exploration about.
1: Okay, so in brief, well, first of all, before we even get to what might happen after disclosure, how do you envision disclosure taking place? That's a great question, and it's something
3: that's very important in in the way that I formulated this whole uh, problem. Uh, Because for uh, many years, I've looked at disclosure as a paradox – I like to say that it's impossible and that it's also inevitable. It's impossible in the sense that, look, there's no motivation at all for anyone who's in possession of this secret, and I believe that there are such people, to give it up. Uh, They have too much to lose. We all kind of know that, and I get people emailing me and asking me all the time, well, why do you think they would bother to give up the secret? And my answer is I don't think that they're going to bother to give up the secret, but they're not the only variable in this equation. You've got the secret keepers. You've got these other beings, uh, whoever, whatever they are. Uh, and let us not forget the greatest variable in the equation, which is us, uh, we the people. And, and the reason I say that is that consider how humanity has itself evolved so rapidly in the last 20, 30, 40 years, technologically, socially, and how we communicate with each other. We are not in 1991, that's for sure. Uh, we're surely not in 1971, and depending on how far back you want to go. We've been... Uh, leapfrogging over ourselves and so I, I continually ask myself well, what might we look like in 2030 or 2040 it's something that I'm moderately interested in I read um,
1: what some futurist experts uh, think Peter you know, like Kurzweil is saying well, that Kurzweil, we're going yeah. to be Immortal by, what, 2040,
3: 2050? He's, he's trying to stay alive long enough to get to that, actually. He's popping the vitamins like uh, they're you
1: know, cherry candy. I have to pop more than he does. No, I don't think we're that far apart in terms of age.
3: But, but I mean, yeah, Kurzweil and uh, Damien Broderick, uh, I think is another one, and he wrote a book called The Spike. There's a number of these uh, theorists out there who talk about uh, essentially computing within 20, 30 years, being able to tell you that they are conscious, sentient entities, um, nanotech developments, quantum computing. I mean, we're looking into a world, and in biotech, Kurzweil says we might become immortal. Even if that doesn't happen, we're certainly looking at dramatic transformations in our world. And, and here's the thing regarding disclosure. I ask myself, in such a world, can can we actually really think that we're not going to be farther along in understanding this openly as a society? than we are today. It seems to me that we will. There are going to be new tools that come up. I don't know what they'll be, but I I believe that they will be here. And um, something's going to happen between now and, say, 20, 30 years. That's going to force this issue
1: open. Well, let me ask you that question here. Yeah. In terms of disclosure, do you think one day someone from the government or the president, whoever the president is at that time, comes out and says, we're being visited by these creatures, or will there be an external event that will trigger what we call disclosure.
3: Well, I think the external event is going to trigger that type of the statement that you just referred to. I do not believe, I've never believed that it's just going to happen voluntarily as a gimme, you know, from them to us saying, here you go, here's the truth. That, no. Uh, it will happen, though, for them to stay ahead of the curve if the powers that be are, are finally forced into a situation where they've, they have to come clean in order to control the spin, that's what they'll do. Right. And um, and by that, I mean that disclosure will not be an open or complete process. It will be, by its nature and necessity, a deceptive process that doesn't necessarily mean evil. Now, put yourself in the position of a president. Let's say you are informed some really nasty stuff about what's going down. You may not want to panic the world. You may think that the biggest order of the day is to stall for time so that you can hold off on telling what you may have just learned. And if not you, the president, then the secret keepers uh, in the the deep black world may retain that information as long as possible. Disclosure is not going to be the end of anything. It's going to be the beginning of yet another struggle to get the
2: truth out. That's a good point. And it's interesting that uh, your co-author, Bryce Zabel, comes from a media Hollywood background. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how the actual project evolved? Because it's a very fascinating story. I caught a lot of hell from a lot of readers who are very distrustful of the fact
3: that I'm working with this Hollywood dude. (laughs) But let me just say, Bryce contacted me a little over a year ago, so uh, at the end of 2009, and originally, it was uh, because he wanted to option my two volumes of history, UFOs and the National Security State, for TV treatment, or for some kind of cinematic treatment. And I, th- I knew who he was. I knew he did Dark Skies. I liked Dark Skies, I, I think, actually. And that's a show that's held out very well over the years. And I thought, well, okay, so we'll talk about that. And I eventually agreed to, to let him do that. But what ended up happening is that over the winter of 2010, uh, 2009, 2010, we... Um, Evolved in this conversation, and we ended up having our really engaging discussions were about disclosure. Turns out he's interested in that as well. I myself have been evolving my interest over the last five, six years. I've given a lot of lectures, uh, written some articles dealing with this as a topic. And, um, and so we, we I think it crystallized on us about a year ago at this time, February, March of 2010, that we really could possibly do a book, and we could do it quickly. Uh, for me, that was key. I didn't want to take an inordinate amount of time doing right. it. Uh, we thought this we is could crank taking it up.
1: time away from Volume Three. Yeah, well, it did. Sure. Uh,
3: you know, I didn't, I didn't really do anything last spring and summer other than write AD after disclosure. So Volume Three went on hold, and I wasn't happy about that. And I had readers writing to me uh, who were very, very not happy about that very distrustful of this wacky new project that Dolan's doing after all I'm supposed to be I'm the historian I'm very detached and objective and I do the past very and now here I'm writing about the future what's up with that but the fact was uh, I love this book I love A.D. After Disclosure I feel like it was the most exhilarating project for me to do and it
2: came together really quickly I mean, most most book projects take well in your case years
3: well yeah I think I've become notoriously slow with my books Um, but yeah I mean in general
2: well, well, you got to dot the I's and cross the T's. You're looking at a lot of information that you have to get correct, and there's a lot of fact checking. Absolutely.
3: I, I got lucky. I, my co-author, I have to say, is utterly professional, a great guy to work with, just a wonderful human being, and professional in his work ethic. Uh, We worked every single day We set this up, did the whole thing online And I was on the phone with him probably every day Just about, we were going over our game plan I'd be working on chapter 2, he'd be working on chapter 6 We'd review everything, the whole thing was available for us We edited each other's work I will say that I had final editorial uh, Say over everything that went into that book And Bryce was totally cool with that Um, And then I I finalized the book for publishing. I did it through my company, Keyhole Publishing.
2: Now, I recently – I've been involved in a project called uh, Disclosure Dialogues, which is Mm -hmm. a five-DVD set that's coming out. And it features a very cool talk that you, a dialogue that you and Danny Sheehan had. Oh, yeah. And I, I, I learned so much from that, and I was so impressed with the way, the repartee that you guys established in that. Uh, and that was the longest, I think, interview or dialogue uh, of the project. And one of the things that, that you know, I, I almost want to spoil, the, spoil it and give the ending out, but you guys came up with this really cool idea. Well, we'll get into what that idea
1: is, but we have to create what they call a cliffhanger. (laughs) Because cliffhangers means we hang by the cliff. No, don't want to get into that because we don't have anybody named Cliff here. (laughs) We do, of course, have Richard Dolan. He is co-author of this new book called After Disclosure. The co-host is Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the (laughs) Paracast.
4: Don't complain about your cable bill going up and up and up. Do something about it. Grab a pencil and jot down this special number, one 804 my tv The more cable TV rates go up, the better digital satellite TV looks. So, disable the cable and get more of your favorite channels in 100% digital quality for less money. Call one 804 my tv right now to sign up for packages starting as low as $19.99 in up to four rooms. And there's no equipment to buy. That includes your free HD TV upgrade, your free DVR upgrade, and your free professional installation and the best part the pristine digital picture and sound call 1877804 my tv so what are you waiting for pull out your major credit or debit card call 1877804 my tv 1877804 my tv disable the cable cut costs and get more call 1877804 my tv 1877804 my tv
6: Hello folks, this is Steve Shank. This week we introduced a new product from eFoods Direct, corn chowder. And let me tell you, its homemade flavor is absolutely amazing. You know eFoods, we've brought you the best food on the planet for years. As you know, we pioneered a line of quick-fix meals that are super easy to fix. Obviously, winter is upon us you can save 20% on the wonderful soup and bakery special. It's a lot of food for less than a dollar a serving. It includes the new corn chowder I told you about and the other wonderful soups. It also includes the delicious cornbread muffins and buttermilk biscuits to go with the soup. So you have great food you can serve this winter or jumpstart your food savings account for the future. Saving 20%. Call 800-409-5633 on the web eFoodsDirect.com Slash Alex. That's eight hundred four zero nine five six three three, or on the web, efoodsdirect.com/alex.
8: The GCN Radio Network. Providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here.
9: This is Philip Rogno. You're listening to Paracast.
5: One of the most informative shows out there. So listen closely.
1: I had to sound like Bigfoot for the Yeti mic. That was good. (laughs) We're using a Yeti mic, ladies and gentlemen. And because we're using a Yeti mic... For the rest of this episode of the Paracast, Chris O'Brien will do his signature phrase as a Yeti.
3: Now, now, Chris, do you do Yeti research? (laughs) I mean, you do some weird stuff. So, I mean, it wouldn't shock me if I learned you did research into Yeti.
2: Yes, I have. And uh, as a matter of fact, I actually may have had an encounter on the western slope of Mount Shasta in 1979. Wow. I was chased off Mount Shasta by something that sounded like a cross between a... An enraged bull elephant, a steam locomotive, and an avalanche. That's the only way I can describe it. And it echoed off the foothills about three miles away. It was terrifying. It's fascinating. (laughs) Uh, You know, I I know we
3: were going to get into... uh This other topic of disclosure, but I would just like to mention to you I met you in 2006 when I was doing a a shoot for the television show Sci Fi Investigates, and one of the things that we did was a Bigfoot episode. And I never, I didn't see a Bigfoot, but I did get to talk to some witnesses of Bigfoot, alleged witnesses, and all I got to say is that it was like uh, talking to UFO witnesses. These were just straight shooting guys, Uh, they're all hunters hanging out in the woods. Um, extensively, uh, who were adamant about what they saw. And, right. and you ask someone, well, do, don't you think it was a bear? And when they look at you and say, no way, man. I know what a bear looks like. This wasn't a bear. Who am I to argue with them? Right. So there, there are quite a few very uh, seemingly reliable, uh, sane witnesses of what appears to be a Bigfoot, Tim.
2: Yeah. I, I grew up in Washington State, so I've, since I was a little kid, I've had a fascination with the subject. My grandfather, in 1918, lived in Hoquiam, Washington. And a friend of his was a deputy sheriff. And he was called out by a woman who had a salt uh, fish operation mm-hmm. with the brine barrels and the fish in the brine. And she ended up having to call the authorities to have this Bigfoot chased away because it was, it was eating all her fish. Wow. So I've always had a fascination yeah. for the subject. It really so. is. It's quite interesting. Yeah.
1: Back to disclosure. Okay. You posed I did. a scenario yeah. in the... Mr.
2: Hanger. Mr. Hayes. Right. Before we hit the cliff. Well... Or we hit the wall, depending on your point of view. You posed a question. Let's continue. Well, uh, this conversation between you and Danny Sheehan, Danny Sheehan, for some of our uh, listeners who are not aware of who he is, he is one of the most amazing people in this field. He argued, uh, I think, the Pentagon Papers case. He's a lawyer. And he argued the Pentagon Papers case in front of the Supreme Court when he, I think he was in his 20s when when that happened.
3: Um, Yeah, he would have been young. Yeah.
2: Yeah. He was the only person that I know of that was ever given access to the Project Blue Book classified portion of the. Project Blue Book Files, for instance. And the story that he told... (laughs) It's it's an extraordinary
3: story, absolutely.
2: But at the end, you guys came up with a really good idea, which he kind of co-opted the Open Minds tag for a sort of a a grassroots organization that would start within the political structure uh, locally, but also in the churches, which I found was a very interesting approach. Mm -hmm. One thing that I have not heard in the subject of disclosure is... Bringing in the religious element and addressing the cultural religious element as opposed to the exo-political element and starting from that point, And that makes a lot of sense to me because one of the things that you always hear is that one of the things that's holding back disclosure is that it's going to destroy the whole religious, uh, you know, the way the religious structure on the, on the, right. in the world is, is put together. And that conversation that you guys had, I think, was very illuminating.
3: Yeah, I, um, I'm glad that you mentioned that. I had a, a very nice time talking with Dan. He's a very brilliant man. One of the things that I I feel is that the the whole argument of religious collapse in disclosure is vastly overstated, overrated, and um, I just don't think that, uh, at least if there's going to be change, it won't happen immediately in the world religions. It might happen after several generations. I think that's likely, but I don't think we're likely to see a major collapse. You talk to people of faith, uh, no matter what that faith happens to be, uh, whether they're um,
2: well fundamentalists, I think, uh, except well, for fundamentalism. Well,
3: what's going to happen with <laughs> fundamentalism? Let let um, you know. Let me just jump into that because uh, in researching that, I I found that to be the most interesting uh, variable of the whole religious paradigm, which is that people who are like evangelical Christians are going to look at they look at the UFO phenomenon and ET in a very particular way, and they see that as a Luciferian or even demonic type of. Uh, Phenomenon. Uh, I would say probably ninety percent or more. We'll look at it that way. And so, after a disclosure event occurs, we can assume that they're going to see that this is uh, either you know the Antichrist or the Second Coming or something out of Revelations or something that's just simply demonic. Lucifer is considered the Prince of the, pow- of the powers of air, for example. So they're going to take a very hostile approach to this new reality, and there's no way that's going to change. The only way that will that will ever go away is. When those people die off and their grandchildren may grow up with a different attitude about it, because I don't think people change. I do think generations change. Um, But, I mean, in terms of what what Danny was talking about, um, you know, starting a kind of a grassroots – Movement to to promote an awareness of an ET reality and, and a possible disclosure. Yeah, I thought that was a real innovation on his mm-hmm, part. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not something that I'd really considered
2: much either. Yeah, yeah, I think he, you. he addressed that uh, here at the conference. I, I unfortunately I missed okay. his talk. I'm, I'm going to have to get it on DVD. But uh, yeah. I think that was the topic of his uh, his talk. Concerns about religion also depend on what ET
1: would tell us in terms, if they communicate with us right. and convey information about their beliefs, their religion, that's what could upset the apple cart. Yeah, that's a very good point, Gene.
3: And uh, it's a variable that I, I don't know how I, I could address that at this point, not knowing what they might say. Uh, certainly in the rumor mill, you hear all kinds of stories about how uh, they have claimed that um, whether Christ was an alien, for example, uh, You know whether that story will come out uh, as... Allegedly true. I don't, I don't believe that, incidentally. Um, or whether they'll claim
1: to have created us through genetic manipulation. Uh, well, let's or, look at yeah. that scenario here. Right. Because that's one that might be possible. Yeah. I mean, sure. that's something, yeah. Yeah. if we believe maybe in ancient astronauts, they come here, they take the local populace, they create this hybrid race of which we're part. Right. And that revelation comes forth. Okay, God didn't create you in seven days or whatever. It didn't happen with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve is basically the two hybrid creatures we created. They procreated and created you. Okay, how do they react to that? How do religions well, act, react to that?
3: That's a big if. If
1: they actually come out and say
3: something like that, I, I'm doubtful that that would actually come right out in such a manner. In fact, I'm doubtful at all that when we have a disclosure that there will be any ETs to present. Right. Uh, I'm just skeptical. I, my, my feeling is that we'll have a we'll get to a point where, we are uh, sufficiently able to prove as a society that they're here, but we may not have the ability to drag them down and put them up on a stage yet. So in that case, I think disclosure will be very unsatisfactory. We're going to have a lot of open questions and a lot of debates. But if, let's say they, that uh, one of their entities s- makes such a statement that you know we've, we've genetically modified earlier versions of Homo uh, sapiens, for example... Um, I still don't really think that the religions are going to collapse. Uh, I don't think people change. That radically, once they hit the age of, say, 30, I think they're pretty much done for the rest of their lives. Oh, no, boy, there's no Looking hope 60. for you, Gene.
1: Well, you know, I'm 50 or 60 times that age. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm as old as the hills. Brad Steiger said that I was here before the dinosaurs
2: ruled the Earth. So we have to bear that in mind. You know,
1: just be kind
2: to the elders. Well, how do we know then they're not dinosaurs coming back to reclaim Earth? They've, they already became a uh, spacefaring civilization, and now they're coming back.
1: Richard Dolan joining us. He is co author of a book called After Disclosure. And we will have lots more coming up. I'm Gene Steinberg. The co host is Chris O'Brien. You're in the Paracast.
9: Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless
10: The food storage industry leader has done it again. Introducing FDG Clubs and Survival Bucks from the Freeze Dry Guy. For over 39 years, the Freeze Dry Guy has served various government agencies and the private sector with the finest in storable foods and emergency rations. If you've wanted to build emergency food supplies but couldn't afford it, now you can. Go to freezedryguy.com, click on products, and look for the Freeze Dry Guy Clubs to pay as you go. Now you can build food storage without going into debt. Choose from a payment range of $95 to $450 per month our clubs work with everyone's budget plus when you join freeze dry guy clubs you'll get additional rewards for example this month get 10% back in survival bucks on all purchases in the freeze dry guy product line plus free shipping within the lower 48 states on any order amount hurry go to freezedryguy.com or call 866-404-3663 that's freezedryguy.com or call 866-404-3663 the freeze dry guy the best you can buy Two black Berkey elements for only two hundred and nine dollars, and the Berkey guy will include three sport Berkey water bottles and ship everything to you free of charge. That's right, three sport Berkey water bottles and free shipping. An eighty seven dollar value, yours free. Call the Berkey guy at one eight seven seven eight eight six three six five three. That's one eight seven seven eight eight six three six five three. Or order online at goberkey.com. That's goberkey.com today.
11: It's the winter cold and flu supplement sale at HerbalHealer.com. Take advantage of Herbal Healer Academy's incredible savings on the best cold and flu supplements available. Many of you know elderberry is exceptional against viral infections. Right now, Herbal Healer Academy has elderberry power. Regularly priced at $16.95, now incredibly low at only $10 for 60 vegetarian caps. For children and seniors, our Herbal Healer Academy flew away elderberry liquid is only $13 for a 4-ounce bottle. Also on super sale, olive leaf capsules, oregano oil plus capsules, and our incredible Respirate Formula, Oregosilin Physician Strength Capsules, for your lungs, normally $34.95, now just $25. Hit the winter specials link at HerbalHealer.com for these cold and flu supplement specials and other on-sale products like apple cider vinegar, brain power, and neuro Recovery. New customers get a free catalog with your first order. Log on and hit the winter specials now at HerbalHealer.com. America's number one source for independent talk radio for
8: over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network.
0: We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Get in on all the action at forum.theparacast.com. We're back with the Paracast on
1: location. I mean, this is such a rare thing with the Paracast, that we're on location, on the scene, talking to Richard Dolan, co-author of the book, After Disclosure, and we're speculating once disclosure happens. Kind of like that. Chris, you pick up on the question.
2: Well, uh, what do you think is going to be the... You know the exopolitical. Let's let me rephrase this. The exopolitical movement seems to be gaining quite a bit of strength, and I'm trying to say this kindly, but uh, there are certain figures within that particular movement that tend to be uh, beyond true believers, and they're actually becoming. I I personally feel part of the problem with creating uh, scenarios where there's dates and lots of what right. appears to be misinformation and disinformation. I mean, how is that, yeah. do you think, impacting the whole subject right now?
3: Well, it's it's a real problem, in my opinion. I think that the whole phenomenon of making predictions has become the real bane of, of this whole field, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. I'm, I'm so sick and tired of whatever prediction, the
1: blue-beam prediction of October 13th. Remember that one? Explain uh, to our <laughs> listeners, this may have just gone <laughs> off the radar well, let, or off if, the rails, depending on your point of view. <laughs>
3: What has happened? It's an explosion of these uh, exopolitical writers and other other uh, self-appointed experts who are uh, in love with the fact that they can make a prediction about either an imminent disclosure by President Obama. He's or, bought airtime, folks. Or um, or you know which and, network, by the way, Fox <laughs> News <laughs> because they hate him. Or or the sighting of an... E.T. fleet that will be here that, that you know, will appear in such and such a place on such and such a date. And, and these predictions uh, are always wrong, and, and when they're right, it's only by coincidence. Look, I can make an E.T. Uh, UFO sighting prediction on any day of the year, and I'll probably be right because there are UFO sightings every w- single day. day.
1: <laughs> They're every single day. So, of course, I'm never going to be wrong. And well, the way this one prediction was vindicated is because they had those balloons in New York City. Somebody sends out yeah, right. balloons aloft. If you don't know what exactly. they are, they are therefore UFOs, but soon they became IFOs. Absolutely correct. And
3: uh, it's it's an embarrassment and uh, it's an annoyance uh, to anyone who's trying to do their research seriously. I like to think I'm trying to be serious. So, I try to stay away from those, those types of people. And um, in the day may come when um, some of us have to take our gloves off and duke
1: it out a little more openly. And if if I ever have to do that,
2: okay, then I'll just do it. You heard it here first, folks. First.
1: <laughs> first here on the PowerCast, we were talking about Richard Dolan, who's a very mild-mannered... I'm good at being a chicken, man. I'll right, avoid if I had any chance I can. He's got the glasses. I also have reading glasses. Everybody's wearing glasses but me. There they go. Okay. Anyway, he is a mild-mannered reporter for... I'm not a great metropolitan newspaper, Mm -hmm. but whatever. But he'll take the gloves off, and he'll pull off the shirt, and there it is. It can happen. It can happen. MMA, right? right. Mixed martial arts. That's right. (laughs) Hey, you see, those are the people who look like they're just normal kind of people, and you don't think these people have the big muscles, but suddenly they're wiry. But watch out for that.
3: It's not—it's not actually being chicken so much as just really trying to avoid wasting my time. And that, honestly, that's what it comes down to. There are a number of people in uh, dealing in exopolitics that I've that I think have made some interesting contributions, um, but everything's a mixed
1: bag. And there have been others that I think have actually hurt the field. Okay. Well, so we have the mispredictions. Yeah. Of the day, of the week, I get the emailings myself. But you're saying some people have made a contribution. In what respect? Who are they? Oh, God, Gene. <laughs> yeah. What are you doing to me here, man? Hey, me it's out better right than, than asking
2: you about the ones that haven't.
1: Oh, listen, <laughs> we hear well, about them. I want to get the positive.
3: Um... <laughs> Well, all right, let me, let me talk about a man who I would consider a friend, and that's Stephen Bassett. And I know Steve's catch a lot of crap from some places, and he gets, he gets uh, props from other places. I feel that history is going to be kind to Stephen, partly because I'm going to write that history, but also just in part because I think that he deserves it. Uh, and that He's a trooper. In the future. And here, here's why. I think a guy like Stephen, who is not, a, uh, he's not an academician, he's not a scholar— He's you an know, advocate. So he's, he's absolutely an advocate and an activist <laughs> who believes in, in the necessity of pushing disclosure. And he's made a number of predictions that have turned out to be incorrect as well. He, I mean, I, I had a conversation with Steve back in 2002 in which he was convinced there was going to be disclosure in the new Bush administration, and I just said, "What are you smoking, Jack?" <laughs> and you know, it didn't happen. But he thought it would. And we've gone through this for years and years. But honestly. Um, I think that if, if you're going into a debate On uh, the UFO phenomenon uh, You don't want to go up against no. Alex Stephen nope, nope, nope. He's an outstanding public speaker A man who thinks really fast on his feet He's never been an embarrassment On a major media interview That I've nope. ever seen So he acquits himself
1: well and uh, I think for that reason, he's, he's a credit to what we do. The problem I think we had with him at the Paracast, not to mention the fact that he had kind of an on-air meltdown where he became very excitable, is that we feel that the people he brings to his conferences should be better vetted. It's got really good people, really smart, bright people. Well, like Richard. Sure. And then he has some people that we will not mention. Right. I, I myself had this problem, and
3: I myself have mentioned this to Stephen privately. I'll just let you know that. Uh, there is a lot of people who had some issues with a number of the individuals that he brought on uh, in, in the past. And I think he listened to those, actually. And uh, at the very last ex-conference, which was in 2010, I, I, would, I think that the, uh, the, the people who attended, who, who spoke, excuse me, were uh, generally a very strong group of people, mm-hmm. personal opinion.
1: Past Stephen Bassett, anybody else that you think you could rate in a positive fashion?
3: Oh boy. Well, um, there aren't that many self-appointed exopolitical writers. I mean, well, there's there's Alfred Weber, there's Michael Sala, there's Paola Harris. All right, Paula is someone that is a friend of mine, and I have a lot of personal regard for Paula, and I do think that. Um, You know, if you simply take the the various interviews that she's done with a lot of people over the years, having put them together into a a compilation, uh, if nothing else, I think it's been a useful uh, research tool for myself.
1: She's very consistent. I will say this. We had some problems with her when she was on the Paracast, (laughs) like everybody. I certainly am aware of that as well. Okay, Okay, but you know what? We talked to her at this event, and we had a pleasant conversation. No hard feelings, because we can disagree with people, but it doesn't mean you can't be friendly with them. Paula is
3: a, is a very good human being, and I'll always love her. And she's, she's been good to me over the years. I've,
1: I've had nothing but positive interactions yeah. with her.
2: Yeah, me too. She's a sweetie.
1: Okay. So we'll go past that. Okay. But again, here, is there something, and we have one more segment after this to pursue this, after disclosure. I guess we're talking about the act of disclosure. So how do we do it? We have Leslie Kane had this really great book. Yeah out, did very well, probably one of the best-selling UFO books in a long, long time. It gets up there on the New York Times bestseller list, ahead of some of the conservative books. I mean, really, ahead of some of the political books. She even got on Fox News, so she talked to the conservatives. Okay, so we have that. Is that making a difference? Things like that. Things like the UFO and nukes conference at the National Press Club. I think so. I, um, I really do.
3: You know, just because uh, when you swing the bat, that ball doesn't go over the fence in dead center field doesn't mean that you can't make some progress. Uh, Maybe, you know, you can – that's probably not the best analogy, but let's say, you know, if you're not smashing down the wall of secrecy with one blow – this is a better analogy – you may crack it rather than break it down. And I think, uh, like Leslie's book, for example, is is something that's going to have a lot of staying power. It's something that speaks to a certain population that doesn't usually encounter UFO information, and, and it's very well designed for that. I think it will make a difference. And I do think that the uh, the press conference on the nukes was a very positive thing overall. And there wasn't really – I didn't catch a lot of media uh, caricaturing of that. It didn't seem to me that these guys caught too, the too much – The Washington Post great.
2: had their way with Oh, them. the Post, of course. Yeah,
3: yes, of yeah, course. Yeah, yeah. What do. am I thinking? Yeah. Right.
12: <laughs>
1: Yes, they do. We have to mention to be positive that that one of our favorite guests on my tech show, the Tech Night Owl Live, is the personal technology correspondent for For the Washington Washington Post, Post, a fellow by the name of Rob Pegorero. But, you know, that doesn't mean that we validate anything else you read in the newspaper. It's just that he's a nice guy, and we enjoy having him on the show. The book, by the way, and we're going to have another segment coming up with Richard Dolan. The book is called After Disclosure, and it's a book that he co-wrote. Where it presents a scenario that once we realize, in a general sense, what's going on, what might happen then, we'll pursue that in more detail in a moment. Chris O'Brien's the co host. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in The Bearcast. <laughs>
13: Becoming a modern smoker is now easier and more cost-effective, thanks to Le Cig. Traditional smokers the world over love Le Cig. E-cigarettes with a look, feel, and taste of real cigarettes, but without the nasty smoke, ashes, or stains. Le Sig is powered by revolutionary microelectronic technology. A small rechargeable battery and unique replaceable cartridge provide all the satisfaction and benefits of smoking without the smoke and all the hazards. See the large variety of Le Cig, e-cigarette supplies and accessories at LeSig.com. That's L-E-C-I ig.com lecig is competitively priced comes with the best customer service a 30-day warranty and satisfaction guaranteed what a great gift idea for a 10 percent discount mention gcn when you call 870-518-4307 that's 870-518-4307 ask for fast free same-day shipping order online at lecig.com and use promo code gcn at checkout that's lecig.com Lasig Le for today's modern smoker
12: There's mounting evidence suggesting that there are people, governments, corporations, and whole professions intent on short-circuiting humanity's well-being. GMO, food legislation protecting big agriculture, the attempted elimination of vitamins and alternative medicines, it seems their hand has been tipped. They want to dictate your health, wealth, and your longevity. Whatever the outcome, we have a solution. Wild edible food. Why worry about food when all has been provided? We imagine that we were ejected from the garden and never invited back, but the garden's still here. There is an endless wild abundance which grows all over our green earth, just waiting for you to wake up and see it. Let author Linda Runyon teach you how to see, know, get, prepare, store, and eat wild edible food. Save money, add nutrition, and ignore the noise when you go shopping in nature's supermarket. Go to ofthefield.com and get started today. Or call one 888 eat free That's ofthefield.com or call one 888 eat free and begin to see a different world. Nine years, thousands of clients worldwide, amazing results, and here's more proof
14: of the effectiveness of how Heart and Body Extract supports good circulation and healthy arterial flow.
15: My
16: name is Crystal. I'm a 45-year-old and live in Houston, Texas. I was diagnosed with having mitral valve prolapse 10 years ago. My cardiologist said surgery and drugs was the only thing he could offer me.
14: What did Crystal do?
16: I ordered Heart and Body Extract in August 2006. When I first took my first 15 drops, I embraced the formula and could even feel the goodness of the formula starting to work.
14: Clean, clear arteries are happy arteries after using Heart and Body Extract. Learn more at HBExtract.com or call 866-295-5305. That's HBExtract.com or call 866-295-5305. HB Extract comes with a 100% ironclad money-back guarantee. Details at HBExtract.com or call 866-295-5305 for Heart and Body Extract.
8: Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network.
16: This is Leslie Kane, and I'm with the Coalition for Freedom of Information, and you are listening to the Paracast.
3: So when you do that, does that create an echo? Do you, do you reverb that or what? No.
1: <laughs> Chris has natural reverb. Wow. He has three diaphragms.
11: <laughs> Wait till they
1: say that people who hate the PowerCast are now going to post this stuff saying, Gene Steinberg said that Chris O'Brien has three diaphragms. No, ladies and gentlemen, he has five. We don't have that much time left here, so okay, let's I've do it in a, a positive I've, way I've here. Go ahead. ahead.
2: Sure. What was the toughest thing that you and Bryce had to deal with in, in coming up with the scenario for the book and, and, and the thing that, that created the most work for you guys? Uh,
3: wow, it's a great question. I, honestly, I have to tell you, every single chapter of that book was an adventure for me personally to go through because all of it was new, except, well, there, was, there were two historical chapters that I, I wrote nearly all most of those uh, that sort of set the groundwork for the reader. That was... Probably the easiest Right Um, Even those were difficult Because in one of those I sort of laid out My idea of What I call A breakaway civilization And that's Even trying to conceptualize That isn't the easiest uh, Thing sometimes For me to do Would you
1: conceptualize it for us yeah. in a minute or less. Sure can. Uh,
3: my, my idea is basically this. If you if you uh, envision a black budget world that's acquired exotic technology, let's just say Roswell happened and other, other events may have happened where we got exotic uh, ET tech. I think that did happen. So in that scenario, you've got a, a bunch of uh, genius-level scientists who are probably looking at it uh, with a great deal of secrecy, a lot of security over many, many years, Probably an enormous amount of money to play with To research and so on So what happens after 10, 20, 30 years of researching this Do you have any breakthroughs And and do all of those breakthroughs get segued into private research uh, Private industry Maybe some of them do But do all of them What if you have a breakthrough that's so important that it doesn't For example, anti-gravity Or some kind of biotech development that allows for super longevity And I'm just you know uh, speculating here But in that event I could easily see it as the case where the, the higher-ups would say, no, we're not going to be sharing that with anyone anytime soon. But that doesn't mean that research would stop. And so what, what I actually think has happened is that there probably were breakthroughs in anti-grav or field propulsion, maybe as far back as the 1960s. I think there are good reasons to argue this. And if that's so, well, science is one of these things that's not linear. It builds on itself. So uh, a covert breakthrough and something as exotic as field propulsion might lead to other breakthroughs in other areas that I can't even conceive. At a certain point, you've got a, a group here that's on a totally different level of science and technology than the rest of the world, and with uh, very possibly the ability, maybe, to even to go off-world. And, and if so, are they having interactions with these other entities that uh, might in turn change their own worldview or cosmology? If all of these things are the case, as I speculate, then, in a sense, we are talking about a separate civilization, one that's broken away from our own, hence a breakaway civilization. That's the idea. And uh, it is something that I think is possible and that I think may be uh, one of the factors involved in the UFO cover-up.
1: One of the things we talk about occasionally in terms of cover-ups is the participation of so-called military or government disinformation agents in the UFO field feeding us fake information, things that, you know, aren't tantalizing, but they're never true. So, doesn't that make it an awful lot more difficult if that's happening, of course, to figure out where the real stuff begins and ends?
3: Yeah, absolutely. It's never easy. Uh, you know, doing this field is like doing a 5,000-piece jigsaw puzzle with fake pieces tossed in, a bunch of pieces taken out, and someone screaming over your shoulder, you're doing it wrong all the time. That's our field.
2: And <laughs> Yeah, with no image, just so, either all white or all black puzzle.
3: <laughs> right, so... Um, I I don't pretend that I'm going to be any better than the next guy at at getting to the core of the truth and knowing it for all time. But I'm just doing my best to figure it out.
1: Let's pursue this just a little bit more in terms of after disclosure, in terms of the revelation comes however it comes. Right. Okay. So we look at private industry. The oil industry, okay, maybe we have some source of energy that makes – the internal combustion engine obsolete. Forget about plugging it right. into your wall socket right. and doing it as we're starting to do now. So what happens? Wouldn't well, they want to stop it? Absolutely. It oil,
3: oil is at maybe at the heart of, of this problem. And um, you know, Chris, earlier you asked what was one of the hardest things for me to write about. Well, this is one of them. This, i writing about the effects of the, on petroleum and trying to understand the place that petroleum takes within the UFO cover up in general. Look. Uh, Whatever these objects use to get from point A to point B, we can assume it isn't petroleum. So um, and in the event that a disclosure – At least we hope not. Well, God, right? Wouldn't that suck? <laughs> but I don't think it is. Anything that can allow them to fly silently, stop on a dime, make a right, no radius turn, and all of this, I think is a little niftier than petroleum. And so it, when there's a disclosure announcement, really, how long is it going to take before some bright journalist says, hey, wait a minute? So what's up with petroleum? And and the, it's going to be on the table. And at that moment, I mean, it's not simply that petroleum is the largest industry in the world, which it, it probably is. It's certainly the two most uh, profitable companies in the world, I believe, are Gazprom of Russia and ExxonMobil, and they're, they're petroleum companies. Um, it's not just that, though, but it's that the entire global financial system – is in many ways dependent on petroleum. We don't use the phrase petrodollars for nothing. It it infuses, I mean, the the price of any product that you can uh, purchase, much of that has to do with the amount of energy that went into making it and transporting it, and that comes down to petroleum. So it infuses our whole global economy, and, and if that becomes obsolete, clearly we're talking about Massive changes in the global economy, global financial system. All those trillions of dollars that the plutocrats have wrapped up in petroleum assets suddenly go poof. Now, that may not be a big deal for the average guy in the street, but it's going to have to have massive political ramifications for for all of us. Um, Now, in the long run, certainly, I think we can all agree the world needs to move beyond petroleum. This is not going to be a sustainable source of energy for us for a lot longer. So you
1: can't say drill, baby, drill very much longer.
3: Well, even if you did, even if we had an infinite supply of petroleum, I mean, look what we're doing with the world. How how many more years are we going to do this before we completely trash the entire Pacific Ocean? Uh, We've got some real problems, and petroleum can't get us, I think, as a society, as a species, to where we want to be in the next century or two. So we need something else. And I do believe that the UFO phenomenon offers, uh, whatever that answer is, I think, it's, it's within the UFO phenomenon. Chris, you want to pick up on that? Yeah, the final and I agree. Questions? And I don't think
2: we're going to have any sort of uh, disclosure until they figured out, you know, in terms of if it's having to do with energy, free energy, because nothing is free in this world. And right. they're going to have to figure out a way to meter, put a meter on free yeah. energy before any, any sort of agreement by the, by the petrol uh, companies to, to get involved. Yeah, I, I
3: suspect you're absolutely right yeah. on that,
2: Absolutely. Yeah.
3: Uh, Because, you know, look, the world is is not just going to change into uh, everyone holding hands and singing Kumbaya. There's still going to be power groups, and they're going to want to maintain their power.
1: We're not going to sing John Lennon's Power to the People. Maybe we will, but there's going to be the guys on the other side as well.
3: (laughs) They may have their own song, Power to Us.
1: (laughs) Yeah, right. Well, that's the big question here, too. After all this, you got the book out there. Do you have a feeling when this might happen.
3: Well, I'm, you know, I don't like making predictions, uh, but I do think that disclosure will happen. One thing I'll say is I think it'll happen fast. I think, and I've been saying this all along and, and uh, take a look at what's going on in the Arab world today. Two months ago, who would have predicted this? What's happening? And like lightning, it's, you've got an incredible tide of, of uh, humanity and a, and a yearning for freedom, by the way. And it's happened very quickly. And I think disclosure will happen quickly. Also, I've, felt this way for years as to when uh, I don't think it's going to happen tomorrow I don't think it'll happen next year but I do think it, it could easily happen within 20 years from now and I only say that because of the way that I think our own uh, society is changing and evolving and I think that by that time we'll be very possibly in a position to have the tools as a society to uh, record, capture, communicate this phenomenon in a way that makes it difficult for the powers that be to deny
2: 20 years now is several <coughs> lifetimes Well, the question is certainly the way society (laughs) runs
1: now. I mean, if we just figured out what's happened in the past ten years, forget about that. But, of course, the final question would be then, do we even have any control over it?
3: Um, Well, we have some control. We have control over uh, our own actions, and we have control over whether or not we can uh, panic or not panic. Uh, One of the messages that I really wanted to... to, uh, impart the reader with at the end was no fear. I really think that fear not only is um, just a bad idea in general, but also unnecessary in the sense that I think intelligently uh, we would be able to, to get through the disclosure process in a way that's actually beneficial for humanity. It doesn't have to end up in a fascist global police state. It might, and we'll have to fight to make sure it doesn't, but it can end up in a positive way.
1: Okay, Rich Dolan, where do we find more of the stuff that you do? Uh, My website's keyholepublishing.com,
3: just like looking through a keyhole, K E Y H O L E Publishing. Uh, It's got everything you need right
1: there. Rich Dolan, thank you so much for joining us this week on The Paracast.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, you rock, dude. (laughs)
5: Hi, Ted Anderson announcing a great way to listen to radio on the telephone. By calling 760-569-7700, you'll be hearing GCNlive.com programs in seconds. Come to GCNlive.com, find your favorite host's dedicated phone number, and hear them 24-7. You heard me right, every show has a dedicated phone number. Stop by GCNlive.com and bookmark their number today. And again, that's 760-569-7700.
0: Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now here's Gene Steinberg.
1: We're back live on the scene. Can you believe this? We're actually at this convention, this UFO convention, in near Scottsdale, Arizona, on Indian territory, sacred Indian territory, right, Chris? Correct. And we've got Kathleen Martin. She's co-author of that book with Stanton Friedman we've talked about in the past called Captured. Also, When Science Was Wrong.
16: Science Was Wrong. Okay. Yes.
1: Okay. And we debated that with you and, of course, with Stanton and, of course, Paul Kimball. Paul Kimball, right? Yes. And Which is kind of unusual having Paul Kimball debate with his Uncle Stanton.
12: <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. Brought you on because I wanted to talk about UFO abductions because of your very personal involvement as the niece of Betty Hill. And we've had this great brouhaha in the field, screaming, yelling about this current controversy over the investigative techniques of people like Bud Hopkins, who, by the way, is gravely ill. I should mention that. He's very ill. I understand as we speak here, he's feeling somewhat better, and we're happy to hear that. But you don't take a person who is not in the best of health and you hammer them. With severe criticisms, inexcusable. Kathleen, what's your impression about all this?
16: I have, I think I have a pretty balanced impression about all of this. In Bud's favor, I have to say that he has done some very good investigation, in my opinion, into abductions. However, he has also, uh, over many years, had... Hundreds, if not thousands of individuals who needed his help. And I think that you come to a point where you have to either think about doing a complete, thorough, long-term investigation of perhaps one case, or you have to attempt to help all of these people who are asking, who are crying for your help. So I think that Bud perhaps got into some trouble because he didn't have the time to do those really thorough investigations on everyone. Trying
1: like, to do too much.
16: Possibly trying to do too much. That's that's my opinion. Now, at the same time, anyone can be the victim of a hoax, particularly if you don't have the time to do those thorough investigations. Ooh, look what
2: happened with John Mack. Same thing. He got hoaxed.
16: And you don't have the funding to have psychological evaluations done, to have personality profile testing, to examine physical evidence, to do an investigation of that person's background. So, you know, there's a lack of funding, and then there's also the desire to help people.
1: Do you feel then, Kathleen, that maybe these people, people like Bud Hopkins and Dr. David Jacobs, they're not trained therapists, but they are the stopgap? We have nothing else there. Very few people, certainly professionals, are involved. So someone has to do it, so they stepped in.
16: Well, first of all, I want to say that although Bud is not a trained therapist, initially he did work with trained therapists, psychiatrists, and he learned from them. So uh, that's another thing that I want to say in Bud's defense. He did step in, and I think that he felt competent. In fact... I was speaking to Bud's Intruders Foundation a couple of, a year ago last October, and Bud hypnotized me. I'm a, I'm a hypnotherapist myself, and I wanted to examine his technique. So so you we have the training.
1: You're trained as a hypnotherapist. Uh, yes, I'm okay, certified.
16: Sure. Yes. I'm going to
1: ask you some questions about that okay. in a moment. Go ahead. I
16: am certified, and I was impressed with Bud's technique. He didn't lead me.
1: I think that's the question that skeptics say about abductions, that the researcher, and I'll talk about Bud Hopkins, also Dr. David Jacobs, they're leading the witnesses to believe that they have been taken aboard spaceships, they've been subjected to sexual examinations, et cetera, et cetera.
16: Well, from my investigation of all of this, and I wrote uh, a very long 40,000-word article called The Conundrum of Alien Abduction about all of these academic studies. I believe that some people probably have had hypnagogic or hypnopompic hallucinations that, uh, or sleep paralysis or a combination of those and have come to believe that they might have been abducted. And, of course... If they truly believe that they have and they're working with someone who is not a clinical therapist, then perhaps that might come through in their own uh, hypnosis. And, they, of course, they're going to believe that that happened. And that's why I think that it's necessary to have these thorough investigations and that we really need to do thorough analysis of this and not investigation through hypnosis.
1: Is it better, then, to concentrate on a few significant cases and kind of leave the others aside for the moment?
16: I believe that it is, and I have always believed that. And that's why, although I'm a certified hypnotherapist, I don't do hypnosis, uh, hypnotic regressions, on suspected abductees. Hmm, that's I have, interesting. I have done it um, in order to alleviate some of the traumatic symptoms that some people have, but not regression itself.
1: Well, let me ask you about regression. Obviously, there's a bit of a controversy over that, more than a bit of a controversy. For example, in the episode of the Powercast last year, we had... Dr. David Jacobs, Bud Hopkins, and Kevin Randall. Now, Kevin Randall does not believe in the value of hypnotic regression to unearth lost memories at all. So what do you say otherwise?
16: What I can say is that, uh, and based upon Dr. Benjamin Simon's statements about this and about my study of hypnosis, which has spanned about 20 years, uh, what people say under hypnosis is not necessarily the entire truth. It's what they believe to be true. And it may or may not be the objective truth of the reality of what happened.
1: Okay, so in a case like that, say someone has missing time. Okay, they said, you know what? I was on the road. I saw a flash of light in the sky, not atypical. And then it's two hours later. So how do you find out what happened during those two hours in a way that accurately represents what they may or may not have perceived? Or maybe they had a blackout. How do you know?
16: I think that what you have to do, and ideally you're going to have more than one individual who experienced this. And if you have two individuals, they have this missing time, they have amnesia, then you can hypnotize them separately. You can impose amnesia at the end of each session so that they cannot communicate that information to each other. They can't even remember it. And what you're you saying, do, by the way,
1: Kathleen, is that you will not
16: remember this session. Is what that is um, correct? You're you about. won't remember <laughs> what you said, and therefore you can't communicate that information. You can't contaminate the information with the other person, and then you can do a comparative analysis. Of their statements under hypnosis to determine whether or not uh, these people are confabulating or if they're giving the same detailed information. Who's standing where when? What they were wearing? Uh, you know, all sorts of things like that. How many people were standing in this particular location? Uh, and compare that. Walter Webb did that. In uh, with the case that he worked on in at Lake Champlain. Um,
1: maybe for our listeners' sake, because we have a lot of new listeners since we joined the network, and we're running out of time for this segment, but maybe on the next segment, tell us about the case that Walter Webb investigated so we get more of a sense of what happened, what went on, and our listeners can put this in perspective this way because, you know, otherwise it's shop <clears throat> talk and people yeah. don't realize it. Well, I want to tell our listeners, by the way, when we know about the guests in advance, we always have a place in the PowerCast forums for you to ask questions. In the case of this convention here, well, you know what? <laughs> it's not something that we can yeah. prepare for in advance. We're getting the best really good guests that we can. Kathleen Martin joining us here on the PowerCast. My co-host is Chris O'Brien, who is now exercising his pipes because he's going to say you're in the Paracast.
17: Have you been sitting on a few great domain name ideas but haven't locked them in for yourself? Good. Now you can buy them through the number one domain name registrar, Namecheap.com, as voted by the top tech blog Lifehacker. Just like the name says, you can buy domains cheap, as low as $2.99. And every new domain comes with WhoisGuard, our special privacy service, free for the first year. Now that you know, it's time to grab those domain names before someone else does. Namecheap.com. Go now. Namecheap.com.
1: Awaits.
18: Good day, Jim Newcomer from Midas Resources. March fourth, two thousand and eleven. Gold opened this morning at fourteen nineteen forty. A one ounce gold coin can be purchased for fourteen fifty five ninety five. Seven twenty seven ninety seven for a half ounce, or three sixty three ninety nine for a quarter ounce. That's fourteen fifty five ninety five. Seven twenty seven ninety seven, or three sixty three ninety nine.
5: The Constitution and the Bill of Rights have been reduced to old relics politicians ignore, trample with their outlandish, overreaching policies. Your support of the Campaign for Liberty stands in the way of this insidious process. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. I've teamed up with the Campaign for Liberty to offer the authentic-proof quarter-ounce pure gold coin. For only $390 plus shipping, Midas will donate $100 to this incredible organization. Help fight big government by ordering your gold coin at 800-686-2237. You get to win twice by owning gold and fighting an overreaching government. Call 800-686-2237. Again, that's 800-686-2237.
6: Hello folks, this is Steve Shank. This week we introduced a new product from Direct: corn chowder. And let me tell you, its homemade flavor is absolutely amazing. You know eFoods, we've brought you the best food on the planet for years. As you know, we pioneered a line of quick-fix meals that are super easy to fix. Obviously, winter is upon us you can save 20% on the wonderful soup and bakery special. It's a lot of food for less than a dollar a serving. It includes the new corn chowder I told you about and the other wonderful soups. It also includes the delicious cornbread muffins and buttermilk biscuits to go with the soup. So you have great food you can serve this winter or jumpstart your food savings account for the future. Saving 20%. Call 800-409-5633 on the web, eFoodsDirect.com. Slash alex That's 800-409-5633 or on the web efoodsdirect.com/alex
15: never buy home canning jar lids again no kidding when you buy Tadler reusable canning lids once you'll never buy canning lids ever again safely store emergency preparedness foods for years traditional metal lids are single use throwaways containing BPA but Tadler reusable canning lids are guaranteed to last a lifetime when used as designed for home canning Tadler lids are made with a USDA and FDA approved food grade plastic safe for direct food contact and contain no BPA Tadler lids are dishwasher safe usable with standard pressure or water bath canning Eliminate food spoilage from acid corrosion. Fit standard mason jars are indefinitely reusable and are proudly made in the USA. Place orders at reusablecanninglids.com or call 1-877-747-2793. 877-747-2793. Call 877-747-2793 or go to reusablecanninglids.com. That's reusablecanninglids.com for Tadler Reusable Canning Lids, the original since 1976.
8: The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here.
0: We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And if you want to catch up on past episodes, we have hundreds of shows for you to download direct from theparacast.com. That's theparacast.com. Or check us out on iTunes.
1: We return. Kathleen Martin joining us at this palatial resort near Scottsdale, Arizona. Beautiful place. We're in a press room, though. We're locked into a press room, Chris O'Brien and I, to pursue this. Kathleen Martin, of course was the co-author with Stan Friedman of this really fascinating book called Captured, referring, of course, to her aunt, Betty Hill, and the experiences. I should tell our listeners I met Betty Hill a couple of times. I really liked her. I thought she was a really wonderful lady. I always thought of her as a grandmother. If I ever had a grandmother who was still alive, Betty Hill would have really been the candidate for the job. Not that she would have taken me, of course. You understand that. Okay, we're pursuing, of course, UFO abductions, We have a certified hypnotherapist here. She's not a layman. She knows what she's talking about. And now we have that episode, really getting a lot of publicity involving Dr. David Jacobs, this woman from New Zealand. And we're not going to mention her name because the name's a fake. It doesn't matter what we call her. We can call her Mary Smith. It doesn't matter except for listeners whose names are really Mary Smith. Okay. She sent a lot of material to Bud Hopkins, Dr. David Jacobs. Kathleen says she's gotten the material... What are your insights about this episode?
16: All I can tell you is that some time back, she sent a massive amount of information, audio tapes, recordings that you could listen to on the computer, about her experiences with David Jacobs. She was filing a formal complaint, but she wanted widespread coverage of this. And I immediately questioned her motivation. In doing this, I was wondering if she actually wanted to come forward eventually and to make a big splash publicly about all of this. So far, she hasn't revealed her true identity. Except, though, except,
1: though, she's made herself into a celebrity. She has a website. She's written lots of letters. She posts in message boards. And matter of fact, in our Paracast forum, she posted not only under her name, but under an assumed name supporting herself. She's been on radio, she's written magazine articles She's turned herself into a celebrity Under a fake name
16: Yes she has And I think you have to become suspicious Of anybody who does that sort of you thing think? She also has uh, a history of Being in counseling With a psychotherapist for many years I wondered if perhaps she had a personality disorder From my background wow, as a social a good, worker That's a
2: very good question
16: And it is a good question I think we have to wonder about that I also have to wonder why her complaint against David Jacobs was sort of rejected by Temple University so then she took it to the US Department of Health and Human Services to me that's going pretty overboard
1: well her complaint here is that somehow he abused her mentally by working with her and the question i've had and i'm not going to say that you know what really happened i wasn't there okay The question I have is, you're calling somebody from New Zealand to Philadelphia, and if you think that person isn't doing the job, hang up the phone. Why couldn't she do that?
16: That's true. She could have done that. And I have concern as a hypnotherapist because part of my training and part of other hypnotherapist training that I have talked to has been that you never do hypnosis over the telephone that you have to be there, you have to see people's facial expressions. If a person has a traumatic experience, you have to be there to comfort them. I think of Barney Hill, my uncle, in hypnotherapy with Dr. Benjamin Simon, where he relived such a traumatic experience that he at one point got up and he might have run if Dr. Simon wasn't there to stop him and he might have gone through a window and onto the street below who knows yeah. but you have to be there to protect the person that you're working with and that is my that's my only criticism
2: well, that was of what, I think this. a real major error in judgment on, on Dr. Jacob's part and and getting uh, back to your your comments about uh, Barney Hill the tape of that of, of one particular session i'm aware of is one of the more compelling pieces of evidence i think for the abduction the validity of and reality of the abduction phenomena that is explain amazing. that section please it, he would have to be an academy award winning actor to portray his experiences under under hypnosis the way that he did it's it, came across so real to me. It's always, it's always struck me as being a very, very important piece of evidence supporting the validity of the abduction phenomenon.
16: Well, some people will say that you can become traumatized when you're confabulating information as well. But I want to stress the fact that on September 25th, 1961, only five days after the encounter that happened in the very early morning hours of September 20th, 1961, Betty wrote to Major Donald Kehoe, and she talked about these figures that Barney observed on board that craft being dressed in shiny black uniforms and that he was terrified by this, that he had run back to the car and stated to Betty that he thought that they were going to be captured if they didn't get out of there. Only a month later, he stated to Walter Webb, the original NICAP investigator, and I quote, they were strangely not human. And I think that That's something that we've overlooked in this investigation and not placed enough emphasis on. You know,
1: I wanted to ask you, since you mentioned Walter Webb, and we didn't get back to it before, we just touched upon it, the case that he was involved in that you were about to summarize. So let's pick up on that.
16: Yes, the case he was involved in is uh, in his book, Encounter at Buff Ledge. He worked with two individuals the report was made years after their close encounter and a period of missing time. They were counselors at uh, a girls' camp on Lake Champlain in Vermont. She was a college student at Smith. He was a teenage boy who was taking care of the equipment down at the dock. Most of the camp members were at a swim meet, and they were out on the dock. They didn't know each other very well. This was the first uh, chance they had to have a conversation. As they were standing on the dock early in the evening, a mothership, you might say, that's the only way I can describe it, came in and smaller craft flew out of that larger craft. The larger craft disappeared in the sky, Two smaller craft went in opposite directions. One came in their direction. It ascended vertically into the sky, it came down, it plunged into Lake Champlain, it came back up, and then it glided just above the top of the water in their direction. He had conscious recollection of observing non-human entities on board that craft. They also had a period of missing time. The next thing they knew, the campers, the children at this camp, had returned from the swim meet. There were witnesses who did observe the craft. He came to Walter years later. They had lost touch. These two individuals, the the young woman and the young man, had never really had the opportunity to discuss what happened to them. They found her years later. She was working for a college. She was married to a medical doctor, had a couple of kids. They finally found her. And Walter Webb was able to have them hypnotized separately.
1: We'll go into that in a moment. We have Kathleen Martin. The co-host is Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast.
9: Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space This is not a drill.
10: Repeat, this is not a drill. Gun sales are on a staggering pace. Gun prices are going through the roof and that means desperate, vicious criminals now want your guns and will do anything to get them. Now, a new book reveals powerful secrets for hiding your guns from thieves and looters. You'll learn step-by-step battle-hardened techniques, where to hide your guns so criminals will never find them, how to create the perfect hiding place, as well as the places you should never hide your guns under any circumstance. These and other closely guarded gun caching secrets are guaranteed to keep your weapons safe and out of sight when the going gets tough but listen Listen up for security reasons the hide your guns book and even the website may disappear without warning at any time go to hideyourguns.com that's hideyourguns.com or call 877-327-0365 before they come for your guns hideyourguns.com right now right now right now Before you throw away your used batteries, you need to listen to this. Now, going green can save money. Go green and save money by giving life to your used batteries by charging them with the Renaissance Charger. The Renaissance Charger uses a new revolutionary battery charging technology that effectively extends the life of new batteries and gives new life to used batteries. Invented by legendary audio genius John Bedini, this unique and patented charging system rejuvenates the electrochemical plate structure in the battery without additives, increasing capacity and maintaining cell integrity. Renaissance Charge offers a full line of products made in the USA for all types and sizes of batteries. Find out why our customers tell us the Renaissance Charger is the only battery charger they will ever use. Save your money. Save the environment. Visit us online at r-charge.com. That's r-charge.com. Or call us at 208-772-4514. That's 208-772-4514. Be a part of the revolution today
7: America's number one source for independent talk radio for
8: over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network.
5: Hi, this is Bud Hopkins, and you're listening to the
19: Powercast. and I completely enthusiastically endorse this program.
5: It's an absolutely great program with opportunities to stretch out and talk.
1: Kathleen Martin joining us co-host is Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. We're in the PowerCast doing a on-the-scene show, our first full on-the-scene show. Mm-hmm. Kathleen, okay, subjected to the hypnotic treatment, what happened?
16: Yes, they were hypnotized separately. They had no way of communicating the information that they set under hypnosis. And Walter Webb did a comparative analysis of their statements. Their statements before hypnosis and their statements under hypnosis. And they had positively correlating information. I believe it was 65%, which is highly significant. I did the same kind of comparative analysis on Betty's and Barney's, separate statements under hypnosis, with positively correlating information that was not in Betty's dream material and contradicted the series of dreams that Betty had 10 to 14 days after their close encounter with the ufo in new hampshire's white mountains betty's and barney's statements lined up in terms of the number of beings that approached their car in the terms of the configuration uh, and contradicted statements that betty had made in her dream account this led me to believe that betty and barney had a real experience
1: what percentage of disagreement would two normal human beings subjected to a very significant or traumatic event, what percentage of agreement and disagreement would you expect to see?
16: That's difficult for me to state, but if there's very little agreement, particularly when, when you're asking the number of people who are our ETs, who are in a certain location at a certain time, um, and both of those statements line up verbatim then I think that that is significant. And certainly over 50% in, in the case of Janet and, uh, and Michael, and, and well over that in the case of Betty and Barney. And in my presentations, I uh, present that evidence, and also my audience listens to the audio tapes of Betty's and Barney's separate statements Uh, To confirm that I'm not making this up That this is true That this is real
1: Okay, what is the reality here? Now, there are a couple of theories we can work on here One, it's what you see ET is here, they're doing something to these people They're subjecting them to some kind of laboratory experiment In some cases, maybe it's some other kind of experiential process And I think Jerry Clark holds an opinion of that What's your point of view?
16: I think that it runs the gamut. I think that some people are being abducted. There's probably a longitudinal genetic study being done on some individuals. There are other people who I think are having spiritual. Experiences. There are other people who might be having psychological experiences. And so I, I think that it pretty much runs the gamut. But I think that there is a small percentage of the population who are really being abducted by these non-human entities who are coming here from elsewhere.
1: Okay, so we're not talking about millions and millions of abductions related to UFOs or E.T. or whatever.
16: As a scientific investigator... I want to know if there is just one, One. (laughs) if there's one that is significant. I don't care about whether or not thousands of people have been abducted.
1: Well, this is the big question. One of the arguments a skeptic is going to make is, okay, we understand maybe ET comes here and they want a sample of the populace, okay? They may consider us primitive animals, whatever. We're going to find out what's going on for whatever reason, for motivations that we can't understand. How often do you need to do that and repeat that act before, you know, you've had enough information? Shouldn't there be only a small number, or is this just the college exercise, you know? We cut up frogs, (laughs) they abduct humans.
16: Well, it seems to me that if it is a longitudinal study, then you have to do it across generations, just as we do with mice and monkeys in the laboratory. That's important.
2: You know, I, this reminds me of something that I was told by a Native American a medicine man uh, in training, uh, lifelong training, uh, with his grandfather. And we talked about quite a number of things. And one of the things that came up during the conversation, which is about a six-hour conversation, was the whole subject of abductions. And he said, you know, I asked him, what, what do Native Americans, at least in your particular Apache tribe, think is going on in this, in this particular uh, mystery? And his response uh, was very, I think, very revealing, at least in my mind. And he said, Chris, what people don't get is they're not being taken out of their rooms and being taken up to a ship. The ship actually forms around them. And And I've never heard anybody actually put it that way, but I think getting back to trying to differentiate between different styles uh, that we find in this particular mystery, that one is one that you don't hear much, that there may be some sort of paranormal, almost metaphysical uh, process going on here, as opposed to a nuts and bolts taking you up through the air into a ship, doing an experiment, and then returning you down. Uh, I found that very revealing. What do you think of that?
16: I have become interested recently in the paranormal aspects of alien abduction, because so many suspected abductees have reported to me that they have had paranormal experiences in their homes, light orbs. There have been, there's been what appears to be poltergeist activity, and often this occurred after the abduction, but not before the abduction. So I'm just beginning to investigate this aspect of alien abduction, So I can't speak as someone who is well-versed in this. All I can state is that anything is possible.
1: Would you consider the possibility that maybe the entire abduction experience is like, well, the holographic deck on Star Trek, where it's generated for them, it could be physical to them, they could see, hear, feel, touch, etc., but it's not real in the objective sense?
16: Well, to me, that perhaps that is true in in some cases, but I do think that it was real in an objective sense for Betty and Barney Hill, that this was three-dimensional mechanical craft and that these were real entities, that they had substance, they had bodies, they were living, they were breathing.
2: Chris? Well, yeah, and I, I think the one thing... That comes through, I think, in, in loud and clear for me is—is is there's a, really an attempt? Uh, and Kathleen, I, I really appreciate your your candor in this uh, regard. There's a, there's an attempt, I think, out there in the abduction field to try to come up with a one size fits all answer to this and. I personally feel that there's too much contrary evidence to suggest that there is a single explanation for this particular mystery. And I do have a sense, and I think you as well are starting to have a sense as well, that there may be something more going on than just a single one-size-fits-all explanation.
16: Absolutely. Whenever someone tells me that they have all of the answers, I become suspicious. You know, this is a learning process for all of us researchers, and uh, I certainly don't have all of the answers.
2: Yeah, but I love your insight.
16: Well, thank you.
2: Okay, let me
1: go back to one thing here very briefly, and we'll get on to other subjects in our final segment here. Okay. The person that Dr. Jacobs has a problem with. Now, is this going to follow him for the rest of his life? How does he combat the situation? And other than just taking the person on, which I have said was a bad idea, I gave him, I said I should give you a slap in the face for that. What does he do to resolve the situation? Can it ever be resolved? Can we figure out actually what happened to this woman? And whether she really had some real experiences there, and maybe it made her go off the deep end. Maybe that's part of the problem. We don't know. We're talking to Kathleen Martin. She's co-author of a couple of books with Stan Friedman, one of which was Captured, which, of course, relates to the case of Benny and Barney Hill. And she knows more about the Betty and Barney Hill case probably than most anyone else around now because... Of her participation in the family and everything else in her personal investigation. I'm Gene Steinberg. Chris O'Brien's the co host. You're in the Paracast.
4: Don't complain about your cable bill going up and up and up. Do something about it. Grab a pencil and jot down this special number: one eight seven seven eight zero four. My TV. The more cable TV rates go up, the better digital satellite TV looks. So disable the cable and get more of your favorite channels in one hundred percent digital quality for less money. Call one eight seven seven eight zero four My TV right now to sign up for packages starting as low as nineteen ninety nine and up to four rooms. And there's no equipment to buy. That includes includes your free HD TV upgrade, your free DVR upgrade and your free professional installation and the best part, the pristine digital picture and sound. Call 1-877-804-MyTV. So, what are you waiting for? Pull out your major credit or debit card. Call 1-877-804-MyTV. 1-877-804-MyTV. Disable the cable, cut costs and get more. Call 1-877-804-MyTV. 1-877-804-MyTV.
13: Go solar for cheap. Want to use solar power but the price is too high? Now you can build
1: your own solar panels for less than $200 at 123cheapsolar.com. Don't laugh. We've sold over 45,000 solar do-it-yourself kits. Watch the step-by-step videos that even
20: non-handyman types can use. We offer a 60-day money-back guarantee. Go to 123cheapsolar.com or call 800-713-0486. 800-713-0486.
5: Reduce your foreign oil dependency when you go green with 123cheapsolar.com.
18: Next, we build a comprehensive plan to get your tax debt reduced to the fullest extent possible, sometimes even completely eliminated. And finally, we work with you every step of the way to get your problem solved once and for all. Call us for a free consultation. Call one 800 346 We'll work together to get your
19: problem solved guaranteed. Dan Pilla has been protecting taxpayers from the IRS for three decades, and he can help you too. Call us today at 800 800- That's 800-34-NO-TAX
8: Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important Search no more We are the GCN Radio Network
3: This is Jacques Vallée You're listening to the podcast, The
5: Gold Standard of Paranormal Radio
1: We return. Kathleen Martin, one more step on this second hour of this week's episode of the Paracast. I'm Gene Steinberg. Chris O'Brien's the co-host. Okay, so I posed the question here, a multifaceted question, pursuing that person who David Jacobs is having a problem with. What is your reaction?
16: If we want to do an investigation of her case, then we have to allocate the funding for psychological testing, for personality profile testing, to, to see if she actually does have a personality disorder. That might and cost
2: I, a lot to get to the bottom of that one.
16: And it certainly would cost a lot of money to get yeah. to the bottom of that one. I really don't have an answer on how this can be resolved. If it's, if it's going to be resolved legally, I don't know.
1: I think it was going to be a lawsuit, and they brought in all that stuff she's done. It would be laughed out of any courtroom in the world. Goodbye. Kaput. It's not going to work. There's nothing. Even if we can say, and I don't know, again, I don't know, that Dr. David Jacobs was in over his head. He didn't handle this properly. I certainly think hypnotizing somebody who was 12,000 miles away over the telephone, he didn't handle it properly. No matter what, you can't sue him for that. No.
16: No, and I, I believe that she signed a contract stating that he was not liable for Ooh, I this. I didn't know that, really. I believe so. I did, I did see his contract. I asked him uh, uh, two or three years ago when we were together. And he either showed me the contract or he told me about the contract. And I don't think that he has legal liability.
2: Did, did you know that, Jean? No.
16: If my memory Maybe I is did correct. and I
1: forgot. You know, it doesn't matter. My age, of course, you know, the gray matter disappears. Okay. So Dr. Jacobs, let's move to one thing about it, the fact that he believes that the aliens are here to create a hybrid race. Okay? Is that something you're seeing any indication of in your investigation?
16: Certainly some of the people that I work with believe that that is going on. Uh, It's all hearsay. It's information that's been recovered through hypnotic regression. And I don't have an opinion. It's sort of, as Stan Friedman would say, it's in my gray basket. I don't know.
1: Okay. How, then, do we really get to the bottom of this? Let's look at the next six or seven minutes here we have left. Let's figure a way to investigate this phenomenon and understand what's going on. Because right now, of course, as we see in the UFO field, we have people shouting at each other, which does nothing. That's typical of the UFO field. We have people trying to understand, but have we learned that much after the Betty and Barney Hill case? What insights have come?
16: I think that in terms of investigation, is that what you're asking?
1: Sure. What yes. we learn after that experience In subsequent cases, what can we do to move to the next level?
16: Well, first of all, funding has to be allocated, and that is the key to being able to do a good investigation. We need to look, in my opinion, at the physical evidence. We need to be there immediately. We need to collect The forensic evidence, Mm -hmm. if any of that can be examined in a scientific laboratory, that has to be done. I believe it's very important to do psychological testing on these individuals, to do personality profiles on them. I think that if there are multiple witnesses, then it's valid for us to do lie detector testing, not for just one individual because that only shows whether or not that person believes it happened. But if there are multiple witnesses then I think that that would be valid evidence. Um, Also, if there are multiple witnesses, perhaps there could be hypnotic regression by a qualified clinical hypnotherapist. And, of course, amnesia would be imposed at the end so that they could not uh, contaminate each other's evidence. Right.
2: Well, what it sounds like you're saying is we need a standardized approach for this, which is kind of how science is supposed to work.
16: Absolutely. That's exactly what I'm stating. And I have been attempting to develop some protocols for this.
1: Oh, right. I think we need that because right now the way the UFO field is, It's a mess. We have people who are in way over their heads doing things they are not trained to do. And they may be dedicated. And well-intentioned. Yes. Absolutely, Absolutely. Sure. But it's not happening. Now, okay, today in the UFO field, 2011, how many people around the world are even involved in abduction research who have any credentials at all to do this sort of thing?
16: Well, I certainly think that through the UF, the Mutual UFO Network, there are trained investigators and there are trained consultants that they can consult with. There is the Star Team who can go to a location uh, immediately after the abduction occurs if it's something where there, uh, for example, somebody's driving down the street and uh, they have a close encounter with a craft. Perhaps they observe non-human entities on board the craft, and then they experience this period of missing time, of lost time and amnesia. It's extremely difficult when you have bedroom abductions, these nocturnal bedroom abductions, with little or no evidence. So, you, you know, you have to have a case in which there is evidence to begin with, right. and MUFON is a perfect organization, I believe, to go to, because there are knowledgeable people, and there are consultants that they can work with.
1: I got ask this question because of recent developments. Okay. The shakeup in MUFON leadership, the complaints of the former international director, James Carrion. What's your reaction about that?
16: I'm very concerned about all of this, and I have been for some time. I served on the MUFON board for 10 years as the international director of field investigator training. The members of the board that I served with have been very dedicated individuals. I've trusted them. I've worked with them. I have seen no evidence that they were doing anything underhanded. I think that there's being a lot of uh, disinformation and misinformation disseminated about MUFON right now. I'm uh, very concerned about it. I would go with the statements of Clifford Clift and the MUFON board. I know them. I have worked with them for a long period of time, and I trust that they are doing the best thing for the Mutual UFO Network.
1: I have to mention one thing. We had James Carriott on the show criticizing MUFON, and since then he will not accept my email, okay? I don't understand why, because I think we treated him fairly, as we do with all our guests. So in fact, we, we were kind of chastised for not jumping on him a little harder. But Well, I kind of gave him a few zingers, but I don't think he liked it because he put me on his block list for mm-hmm. email. So now every time I've written to him with a follow-up, It's sent back. How do you handle that?
16: (laughs) That's pretty unfortunate.
1: (laughs) I didn't know he was blocking you. Yes. Out of sight. I'll do it right now. I'll write him a letter right now after this interview is done, and let's see what happens to it. Because I invited him on the show, and you did too, to participate in our forums, answer questions from our listeners. No, not going to happen. No. Kathleen, you're invited too, by the way to answer questions from our listeners. I'm serious, okay. because I think it's a friendly
2: place. They love it when, when our guests come on and, and they can share share uh, back-and-forth dialogue. They mm-hmm. love that. Right, and we have people from NARCAP coming on. We've had Nick Redfern
1: coming on. We have this guy, Chris O'Brien, he comes on occasionally. I don't know who he is, but he he comes in, kind of invades the turf, and he posts a few things. But, you know, I'm serious. I think it's a very sensible discussion, and we have a real terms of service that people really get crazy, we won't let him on. Kathleen Martin, tell our listeners what you up to in the next few months where they can find more of the things that you do.
16: Okay. You can go to my website, wwwkathleen Uh I have recently updated my site. You can read about me. You can read about my work my uh, scheduled lectures and events. I've posted several articles that I've written. Uh, I even have a guide, a tourist guide. So if you are going to the White Mountains of New Hampshire and you want to uh, travel along Betty and Barney Hill's Close Encounter route, you can go there. Uh, I have a guide for you to follow for your self-guided tour. This is a very exciting year for me because... This is the 50th anniversary of Betty and Barney's UFO experience. I've just been contacted by the state of New Hampshire, and there is going to be a historical marker erected and a celebration.
1: Fascinating. That is interesting. Kathleen Martin, thank you so much for joining us this week on the Paracast.
16: It was my pleasure to be with you. Thanks for having me.
0: Welcome back to the Paracast The gold standard of paranormal radio And now, here's Gene Steinberg
1: So Chris O'Brien, somebody said that you look like a shadow man
2: Would you explain that? Well, uh, I had a Native American uh, Mm -hmm. I was walking actually down to the casino uh, To the sushi bar And uh, I was in full regalia had my black hat on And my my bolo And the whole deal And he goes Ah, Pathfinder But I guess I'm a Shadow Man Pathfinder Um, I'm kind of just all in white except a black hat.
1: Chris O'Brien, on the PowerCast this week, you and I are on location at the International mm-hmm. UFO Congress mm-hmm. on sacred Indian ground just outside mm-hmm. of Fountain Hills, Arizona, which mm-hmm. is near Scottsdale, Arizona. So it's been a pretty exciting venture here because mm-hmm. crowds are really good. I'm surprised. I wonder that if people could still, after all these years, attend UFO conferences in fairly
2: decent numbers. I am absolutely amazed. The, the Open Minds organization did a really good job. This is one of the best conferences I've ever been to.
13: If you're looking for FDA approved radio,
2: you're listening to the wrong show.
10: This is the Robert Scott Bell Show. Of course, the old saying
4: goes it's darkest before the dawn. And I was. I was, I was
2: counting yeah, really good job. This is one of the best conferences I have ever been. To. so you know this is great for me. this is uh, this is great. Me any interesting characters during your wandering of the halls and byways and highways? Everybody here is an interesting character. Everybody has a story. Um, unfortunately, this 80 year old woman came out of the woodwork, was right next to me. And she didn't know what she was getting herself into. She had an incredible experience two weeks before the Phoenix Lights event. She was out in the desert. She had this huge thing fly over her. She said, if I live to be 80, I'm going to come out and tell the world about it. And, boy, she <laughs> she she was not ready for the kind of attention that she was getting. I introduced her to Lynn Uh She's networked. And, uh, she unfortunately, she had to leave yesterday. And so what moves into her table The alien tchotchka people. Um, I am now inundated with the sound of alien lighters that blink and scream and candles and alien motifs. I I broke out in a paranormal rash. I can't find it. It keeps moving. I'm trying to itch it, and I can't. I can't find it, Gene. Well, you know, speaking of (laughs) paranormal ashes,
1: as some of our listeners know, for the past few months I've suffered from an ailment that I call the creeping rot. Oh, Thanks for sharing, man. No, no, it was you know, ranches all over the body and yeah. sores and everything. It turned out to be a perfectly normal artifact well, of the dry climate. But we at have. least you can find yours. I can't find mine. It keeps moving. It's paranormal. You have the paranormal creeping rot.
2: <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is not a good lead <laughs>
21: I'm following creeping yeah. rot. <laughs> yeah.
2: You're going to be the salve that that, ooze, that, that takes care of the uh, itches and oozes. Even better than steroidal cream, right?
1: which is what I'm taking, I worry about the side effects. Tell us about a guest for the final hour of
2: this week's episode of the PowerCast, Chris O'Brien. There are a few authors as prolific in this realm as our guest, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, I am, have been a huge fan for years. Uh, this has been such a pleasure for me to finally meet you. Uh, you know, I can't say enough about your work. Uh, you are a true inspiration for people like myself. You are very level-headed. You're very objective. You go out in the field. You do the heavy lifting. You do the work. And you're an incredibly talented, gifted writer. And it's such a pleasure to have you on the show. And we're going to have you back uh, with your co-author, Phil Imbrogno, to talk about your new book on the gin for an entire two-hour episode on the Paracast, which I can't wait for.
21: Thank you very much, Chris, and that's very complimentary of you. I've been an admirer of your work, too, because you get out and dig up some really incredible facts and information, and it takes a lot of dedication and hard work to do that. There are a lot of researchers in this field who just want to sit back and skim off the easy stuff, and you don't do that.
1: Thank you. On your website... Under your name, the subtitle, At the Crossroads of Time, Space, and Infinity. Okay. Tell us what that means to
21: you. It's a reflection of the focus of my work. I am a believer in the paranormal, in other dimensional realities and contact experiences. I'm not out to prove that they exist. Uh, I know they exist. I'm looking for the how and why, and that transcends space and time, and it really puts our minds out into the edges of infinity. You have to expand your consciousness to truly grasp the truth of what we are encountering with these interdimensional experiences. This has been a lifelong interest of mine. It's not just focused on one area. I'm not just into ghosts or UFOs or Bigfoot or uh, any particular narrow field. In fact, I think too many researchers have tunnel vision. I'm interested in everything and the interconnections of that, the how and why of experiences, and what we're doing with that information, how we're integrating uh, our experiences into our worldview and how that's changing our consciousness.
1: Now, it's very common in these various fields to compartmentalize the work that you do. So, for example, UFOs, that's E.T., but ghosts, maybe that's spirits of the dead or something else. Or Bigfoot, I don't know, maybe some kind of missing link or a lost race. They're not necessarily connected. So where do you see, if anywhere, some kind of synergy amongst all these events?
21: I think that most of our experiences are interdimensional. For example, um, while most Bigfoot researchers are looking for an ape-like creature who would be considered a lost race, I think Bigfoot is interdimensional, what we would call or what John Keel called the ultra-terrestrial, a being who lives in its own right in another dimension, and for various reasons, which may be deliberate or accidental or both, finds its way into our dimension, and we have these These experiences. Our perceptions may be limited by the information that we can accommodate. In other words are we seeing these entities in their true form or is our brain sort of uh, massaging uh, what our senses perceive into something that we can understand. And I discovered early on in my work um, and mainly because I'm a very curious girl uh, and I like to know everything I can about everything but I discovered very early in my work, that there were bleed-throughs from one area to another. And if you research the mythology, the folklore, the anecdotal experiences, and even what science has attempted to say about some of these things, um, you find many, many overlaps over the years. You find different labels on the same, what I call, core experiences. Human beings have had core experiences with interdimensional entities since we've recorded our encounters since ancient times.
1: This sounds silly, but when you're talking about this and our interaction with Another Dimension, I think of the British TV series Primeval, where they have these anomalies. And creatures and people come through these anomalies which appear and disappear at random times. So we understand that's just a work of science fiction on television. But from what I'm hearing from you... This sounds like there's a reality behind all this.
21: I think there is a reality behind it, Jean. And actually, science fiction is always on the cutting edge of the truth that's out there. Um, They're visionary. The science fiction people are visionaries. but. I discovered in researching these narrow-focused areas that you can't contain them within neat little boundaries. And in fact, the the paranormal is is really like Quicksilver itself. You can put mercury into a container, but if you take it out and try and press on it, it squishes into a million different directions. And that's exactly how the paranormal reacts. And by paranormal, I'm including what I call broad-spectrum phenomena. That would be everything angels to zombies and everything in between, including... UFOs. Ufologists don't like to consider themselves paranormal. The paranormal people aren't interested in ufology. The Bigfoot people don't care about ghosts or UFOs. And yet, for example, if you talk to some of the leading Bigfoot researchers, they always, uh, if they spend enough time out in the woods, they always see mysterious lights in connection with Bigfoot sightings. So there are common threads that connect everything. Take the vampire, for example. What is a vampire? Well, you've got elements of the incubus, the succubus, the nightmare hag, Uh, the poltergeist, uh, and mysterious creatures, and the returning dead. So where do we draw the boundaries?
1: Rosemary Ellen Guiley making her first appearance on the Paracast, but there's going to be a joint appearance, we hope, between her and Phil Ambrogno in the very, very near future. Chris O'Brien's the co-host. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the
2: Paracast. (laughs)
18: Good day, Jim Newcomer from Midas Resources. March fourth, two thousand and eleven. Gold opened this morning at fourteen nineteen forty. A one ounce gold coin can be purchased for fourteen fifty five ninety five. Seven twenty seven ninety seven for a half ounce, or three sixty three ninety nine for a quarter ounce. That's fourteen fifty five ninety five. Seven twenty seven ninety seven, or three sixty three ninety nine.
5: The Constitution and the Bill of Rights have been reduced to old relics politicians ignore, trample with their outlandish, overreaching policies. Your support of the Campaign for Liberty stands in the way of this insidious process. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. I've teamed up with the Campaign for Liberty to offer the authentic-proof quarter-ounce pure gold coin. For only $390 plus shipping, Midas will donate $100 to this incredible organization. Help fight big government by ordering your gold coin at 800-686-2237. You get to win twice by owning gold and fighting an overreaching government. Call 800-686-2237. Again, that's 800-686-2237.
7: This message starts with a great offer from Big Berkey Water Filters, because we don't want you drinking dangerous water one minute longer. Right now, purchase any filter system from BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com to get your choice of two Berkey sport bottles, a KDF shower filter, a set of fluoride filters, or our new Cyclas spigot absolutely free. Why do this? Because over 60% of municipal water is fluoridated, and at less than $0.02 per gallon, Berkey Water Filters purify both treated and untreated water, removing dangerous chlorine, fluoride, and other contaminants. Big Berkey water filters are powerful enough to purify stagnant pond water, so they're perfect for rainwater collection systems and emergency preparedness. Remember, Big Berkey includes free shipping on every order over $50, and GCN listeners get 5% off all ceramic filter systems. Visit B-I-G-B-E-R-K-E-Y waterfilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY. That's Big Berkey waterfilters.com or call today 1-877-99-B-E-R-K-E-Y.
20: Hi, my name is Stephen Heuer. As a degreed nutritionist, my first priority is for you to get healthy. That won't happen if I make wrong recommendations or cause you to spend money on supplements you don't need. After 20 years working with thousands of products and thousands of people, I know, for the most part, what does and does not work. One World Whey is the first and only unheated whey protein powder from grass-fed cows on the market. It retains substances that no other whey protein powder has. These nutritive compounds supply life-giving nutrition. Your body merely needs the right conditions to make great health happen. Due to low-quality foods, toxicity, and aging, having great health is more of an effort than ever. One World Way is the superfood of the century, and when added to your diet, it promotes energy, detoxification, muscle gains, fat loss, and overall radiant health. Call 888-988-3325. That's 888-988-3325. Or visit OneWorldWay.com That's OneWorld W-H-E-Y
8: The GCN Radio Network Providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio GCN Great Talk Radio starts here
0: We want to hear from you If you have a comment or question about the Paracast send it to news at theparacast.com That's news at theparacast.com And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Get in on all the action at forum.theparacast.com.
1: Another segment with Rosemary Allen Guiley, who has never heard... Chris O'Brien do his famous stinger in person. You know, now you know what the soul behind the Paracast is all about, the interdimensional phenomenon of me interacting with Chris from separate dimensions.
21: Am I going to be disillusioned?
1: I figured you already were, you know. This is so much fun in person. I wish we could do this in person all the time. I wish we could just do a live show in person, all the guests in a round table like we have here. We just have a table in a conference room. We have one microphone, mm-hmm. a one microphone that hears in all directions. Mm-hmm. It hears all and sees all. But I'm going to ask you about the background here, okay? You start out in life, I gather you studied communications, you wrote for magazines, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. What attracted you to the crazy quilt world? Of the paranormal?
21: It was a combination of things, Jean. I, like all children, I had some paranormal experiences. I was not a what I would consider a major experiencer. I did not have a big UFO abduction experience. I didn't have dead grandma come and visit me in, in the bedside. But I did have invisible playmates that I now think were fairies. I had angel experiences. Angels were around me all the time, and I took it for granted. I could hear them. I could see them. And my mother also had very marked psychic experiences, mainly in the area of precognitive dreaming.
1: Precognitive dreaming in what respect?
21: She would dream of future events that would come true, and they usually related to deaths deaths of people. Sometimes she knew the people, sometimes not so well, but they were always upsetting. Uh, The dreams had certain characteristics to them that when it was a combination of these characteristics in a dream, she knew that it was one of those dreams, and they were very upsetting to her. She also had visitations. She was very unsettled by the paranormal and really wanted it to go away. She didn't like that, but I was intensely curious, and when she shared some of her experiences with me, I wanted to know more, especially about precognitive dreaming. By the time I was a teen, I was uh, studying how to develop my own extrasensory perception more. I experimented with my dreams, astral travel, looking into the future, sending messages, getting messages. Was
1: this a matter of meditating? How did you get into these states to attempt to do all these things?
21: Well, as a teenager, I wasn't really acquainted with meditation. I got one of Harold Sherman's books on ESP. There was a lot of how-to material that he wrote about and I tried some of the techniques that he used himself and I discovered I had success with them. So one thing led to another. I also uh, was very interested in astronomy. In fact, when I was little, I wanted to be an astronomer. And All right,
1: but I'm going to go backtrack here. Okay. Success. <laughs> what kind of success did you achieve?
21: Well, I discovered that I could set my intention to visit a certain place in my dreams, observe the environment in terms of detail, and then validate that with. With someone later. These were not sophisticated experiments. I would do them much differently now. I would have certain protocols set up. And then I would try and look into the future, not big events, but something that I might be doing, trying to see uh, what I would be doing in a day or two or who I might be talking to. I tried sending messages to my friends. I discovered that I had some success with that. They were very simple things.
1: Okay, so you send a message to your friend. Mm-hmm. And what kind of message and how did you see the realization of what you did? Well, it certainly uh, beats texting. It's a lot cheaper.
21: (laughs) (laughs) Well, texting is a little more reliable than dreams sometimes. uh, (laughs) I would sure hope so. But However, seriously, I've, I've done several books on dreams because I think they're very important in our interdimensional experiences. Oh boy, I agree. Absolutely. But uh, these would be simple things like, uh, this is Rosemary, are you getting my message? And I would focus on a friend, and then I would call that friend up and ask, you know, did you have a dream about me? Did you get get a message from me? Were you thinking of me? You know, and, and I found that there were various ways that we get these message, messages. And one was in a dream itself, that someone might have a dream about me. And I considered that a connection, a, a success. The other would be that... Well, the other
1: question would be then... Have they had dreams about you prior to the time that you tried to communicate with them?
21: And I can't give you an answer to that because, you know, when you're in your teens, you're not doing sophisticated experiments. Sure, you're just so trying to see if something works. I try to be a hypnotist. <laughs> I even cured, let me tell
1: you, I even cured somebody from a smoking habit. I was 19 or 20 years old and I read a book on hypnotism and I said, okay, I know how to be a hypnotist. And so I tried and the person went under, I followed it to the letter and I gave him the post-it doc suggestion any time he tried to smoke a cigarette, it would have a bitter taste in his mouth. And it worked for a while until everybody and everyone tried to get him to try to smoke. So finally, they forced him to develop a brand new smoking habit. I gave it up. (laughs) But, But seriously speaking here, okay, so you had, as you say, limited success. What about precognition? Did you try to... Think of an event that actually came true More than just something that might be Assumed at random to have happened
21: Well sometimes I tried to see what was going to be In the newspaper the next day You know, That's a very common uh, psychic test And I did read about that But I found that my Intuitive or psychic abilities Were very different than my mother's And I had limited success with precognition I had more success with Visiting or seeing distant locations Sending messages And having these experiences with like the beings I called the angels. When you're little, you assume that everybody has experiences like this. And then you get older, you realize that it's not a level playing field. Some people have none of these experiences. And I was very puzzled as I got older, why people would say to me that it was all in my head when I knew it wasn't all in my head. This also stimulated me to, uh, to research further. I was pretty much an armchair researcher, of course, through my teens and in my early adulthood. I was just trying to learn and understand. Uh, As I got older then, I took a more uh, active stance. I wanted to develop my abilities, and I did that through energy healing. I took uh, all kinds of energy healing courses, intuitive development, psychic development. Intuition is a polite word for being psychic. I started to apply it to my own investigations of the paranormal because I wanted to have a what I felt was a reliable way to open up, to experience, to validate what I was experiencing, and then to be able to close down. And energy healing was very instrumental in that.
1: How do you think it changed your life? I mean, you had a pretty conventional life as a writer and journalist. At one point did you say, you know what, I really need to focus my life on paranormal research?
21: Oh, I've never had a the, conventional life. Know, no, she's, <laughs>
2: it's pretty much her conventional
1: life,
21: uh,
2: Jean. Well, yeah.
21: I don't. I don't live in ordinary reality very much, and uh, I don't live in ordinary reality very much uh, anymore. And that's changed over the years. Uh, I find it fascinating to explore these other dimensional realities. I've had many experiences. They're mostly clairvoyant in nature of perceiving entities when I'm out doing investigations, and I sometimes have uh, validation from other people who are present, and sometimes I don't.
1: We have Rosemary Ellen Guiley, who has written over 40 books about the paranormal. And I envy that I've only written 30 not about the paranormal. (laughs) Most of mine are assembly line books. When you do assembly line books, you know, you don't consider them literary in any respect at all. We'll have more in a moment. Chris O'Brien's the co host. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the (laughs) Paracast.
8: secret UFO agenda? Do strange creatures from the darkest corners of the mind roam the earth? Is there evidence for mind control, time travel, or devious government conspiracies? Find out the inside scoop on the latest conspiracies, paranormal activity, and affording phenomena when you subscribe to Tim Beckley's Conspiracy Journal. It's jam-packed with stories, special book and DVD promotions,
10: with two black Berkey elements for only $209 and the Berkey guy will include three sport Berkey water bottles and ship everything to you free of charge that's right three sport Berkey water bottles and free shipping an $87 value yours free call the Berkey guy at 1-877-886-3653 that's 1-877-886-3653 or order online at goberkey.com that's goberkey.com today
12: There's mounting evidence suggesting that there are people, governments, corporations, and whole professions intent on short-circuiting humanity's well-being. GMO, food legislation protecting big agriculture, the attempted elimination of vitamins and alternative medicines, it seems their hand has been tipped. They want to dictate your health, wealth, and your longevity. Whatever the outcome, we have a solution. Wild edible food. Why worry about food when all has been provided? We imagine that we were ejected from the garden and never invited back, but the garden's still here. There is an endless wild abundance which grows all over our green earth just waiting for you to wake up and see it. Let author Linda Runyon teach you how to see, know, get, prepare, store, and eat wild edible food. Save money, add nutrition, and ignore the noise when you go shopping in nature's supermarket. Go to ofthefield.com and get started today. Or call one 888 eat free That's ofthefield.com or call one 888 eat free and begin to see a different world.
3: life with
18: My name's John, and I've been having problems with my blood pressure for years. My doctor's tried everything without much success. I heard about ExtendoVite from a friend and thought, why not give it a try? It's been three months now, and my doctor's very pleased with how my blood pressure is finally coming down. I have a lot more energy than I've had in a long time. It's working for me. For 12 years now, I've been helping people. My name is Don Wiskin
10: and I want you to know Extendivite works. If you're looking for more energy, or just want to be as healthy as you can, now is the time to join the growing list of real people benefiting from Extendivite. To order, call 1-877-928-8822. That's 1-877-928-8822. Or visit our website at heartdrop.com.
2: Extend your life with
8: America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network.
9: This is Philip Rogno. You're listening to Paracast, one of the
5: most informative shows out there. So listen closely.
1: Returning with Rosemary Ellen Guiley, author of many, many, many books about the paranormal. She has a new book coming out with Phil Imbrogno, and, and they will both be together on the Powercast in the very near future. We are on the scene at the International UFO Congress just outside of Fountain Hills, Arizona, on sacred Indian ground, I guess. And we're waiting now for the Indian people to object to me maybe making a light-hearted reference to that. Chris O'Brien, of course, our co-host, who is more in tune with that part of humanity, maybe he's protecting me here. Because, boy, I need a little protection. Some people say I need a lot more than protection, maybe a little bit of help. But I completely admit to being guilty about that. Okay, I want to hit one more thing because obviously we don't have a lot of time with this, Helen. All right, let's focus on the other area of the paranormal experience, so to speak, UFOs. How did you become interested in that aspect of this?
21: My interest in UFOs uh, grew out of my uh, avid interest in science fiction. Uh, I was a voracious reader when I was uh, younger. I literally started writing. I liked to joke as soon as I could pick up a crayon. And um, also my interest in astronomy. I was around um, six or seven years old when uh, I got a little periscope, cheap little periscope telescope. I went out one night and looked at the moon and fell in love with astronomy and uh, ate up every book I could find on it, but um, I had this unfortunate head-on collision with math and I'm just not very good at math, and if you can't handle the math, you're not going to get a Ph.D. in physics or math, and that's what it takes to be a professional astronomer. Sure. But my interest in astronomy uh, really um, influenced a lot of my understanding of the paranormal, and I have found that to be the case with other researchers in this field, that a lot of them have intense interests in astronomy.
1: Okay, so at that point, when was your first exposure to UFO, Laura, did you read a book like a lot of us did? Did you see a UFO? Um,
21: I have actually never seen a mysterious light in the sky. I've had lots of experiences, but um, I've and I, to my knowledge, I've not been abducted. I've had lucid dream experiences with entities that one could consider perhaps to be ETs. Actually, I think ETs are really ultra-terrestrials; they come from another dimension. But I. But then, if
1: that's the case. What about, of course, real ETs? I mean, we're right now discovering more and more planets revolving around other star systems.
21: Yes, I don't rule them them out. Uh, so why but I wouldn't think that
1: ET maybe have developed before we did? Maybe they have found a way to travel amongst the stars. Why wouldn't at least some UFOs be ET?
21: Oh, I think that they probably are, but I think that the bulk of our contact experiences that we label ETs are probably with beings from another dimension right mm-hmm. here. Uh, in our physical world. So it's a combination of things, and we may never be able to find the boundary between the two because that boundary keeps sliding around. People look for the paranormal to be divided up into little black and white pie slices, and uh, that is virtually impossible to do.
1: And comes to this, too. The people who are in our forums with a more skeptical bent will say, hey, how do you validate any of this? If it's an internal experience, in other words, you either know or you don't know, How do you go about investigating these things to translate that information to other people? How do we follow it up? How do we quantify it? How do we measure it?
21: It's very difficult to do from an an empirical standpoint, and this is one reason why science has such a hands-off in this whole area, ufology and the paranormal in general. It's a real real career killer for a lot of scientists. So, uh,
2: so scientists are, are, are trained to throw out the anomalies and ignore them, basically, and just go for the rep, you know the replication of data.
21: We're dealing with with subjective experience, and um, so I, I think it's important for people to find their own truth. Uh, we have these experiences that shake us up, that expand our worldview, that tell us that there's a bigger picture out there. And for most of us, that's going to be a very individual, unique path to make meaning of that. So my work is oriented to that. I, I try to put extraordinary experiences within the context of things that people are familiar with, mythology, folklore, science, other people's experiences, anthropology, and uh, spirituality as well. Uh, all of these things combine to our understanding of our extraordinary experiences. And for many people, it's going to be their own inner truth that they cannot or do not have to prove to anyone else. Oh,
2: good point. You know, one of the things that I've, I've been fascinated with is your ability to get out in the field and actually do the work. For aspiring uh, field investigators, why don't you give us a, a, a sense of your personal approach into these areas? And I, obviously it... From type of event or type of report or type of uh, phenomena, it, it, it's going to be different. But what is, what? It's kind of lead us through step by step, how you approach uh, an investigation. We have some aspiring investigators out there.
21: I believe in using a mixture of hard and soft approaches. Um, some equipment, I don't outfit myself up one side and down the other like we see on the unreality shows. Uh, and I also believe in, in the use of psychics and psychic ability.
1: Well, the unreality shows, largely, they're just props.
21: Um, sometimes they are, sure. yes. There are, there are pieces of equipment that I don't think really do anything. They just look pretty pretty cool on, on TV. Or
1: they run around wearing funny hats. I understand wearing funny hats is really good on some shows.
21: Well, Chris, the, uh, I don't think your hat is funny. Well, he's a shadow man today. <laughs>
1: is that what it is? Okay. Yes.
21: It's my costume. He's got a shadow man hat on. And uh, you're trying to understand or capture or engage with things that are not completely in this dimension. Uh, In fact, there's a bleed through of dimensions. So trying to rely just on equipment is you're destined for failure if all you bring is equipment and expect that to do the job for you. If you stay in the paranormal, you're going to be engaging your psychic senses. And everybody has that ability to some degree. The more work you do, the more that flowers on its own, and it has to be acknowledged and used in the field. So I don't go in as a psychic, and I've never really billed myself as a psychic, and I don't want to work that way. But nonetheless, I use intuitive and psychic impressions as part of my uh, experience of an investigation and my analysis of it.
2: So that's that's an important tool in the tool toolkit, in
21: other words. Yeah. It is, and when um, I, I work with a lot of ghost hunting groups because the, they've been so popular in the past few years, and people often ask me what they should do, and uh, I say the number one thing you should do is establish a practice of daily meditation. Uh, and regardless of whatever your spiritual underpinnings are, use that as the basis. Uh, meditation is one of the best ways to open up your subtle senses and also to um, to improve the buffer of energy around you. You're often engaging with phenomena that can be incredibly destabilizing. And people will go jumping off the, the diving board into the deep end of the pool because they want to be instant investigators, and they wind up getting very destabilized by what they come up against.
1: Well, moving into what investigations are, let's go back to UFOs for a brief second here or two. And that is we have a lot of people here who figure UFOs are physical. They're physical craft from other planetary systems, maybe interdimensional in the sense they use that for transport. Okay, the government knows this. Therefore, the government is honor-bound to tell us. They want disclosure. They want the revelation that we're being visited by E.T. or something. But based on what you say, this can't possibly happen because it doesn't work that way.
21: Well, I think a large part of it doesn't work that way, but there, there may be some hard evidence out there. And uh, I'm, I'm still not quite certain what to make of all the conspiracy theories out there and what the government allegedly does know or doesn't know. Um, it strikes me as difficult to keep a, a huge subject like this under complete wraps for a very long period of time. There may be people in government who is just as befuddled as the rest of us as to what's really going on. But um, is there a a piece of a a craft somewhere or an an alien under wraps? Perhaps so. I I can't rule that out. I don't have a good answer.
1: Then again, how do you even prove that's happening until or unless someone comes forth with the information to demonstrate it? Rosemary Ellen Guiley joining us on the Paracast. I'm Gene Steinberg. The co-host is Chris O'Brien, and you are most definitely in
2: the Paracast. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.
10: The food storage industry leader has done it again. Introducing FDG Clubs and Survival Bucks from the Freeze-Dry Guy. For over 39 years, the Freeze-Dry Guy has served various government agencies and the private sector with the finest in storable foods and emergency rations. If you've wanted to build emergency food supplies but couldn't afford it, now you can. Go to freezedryguy.com, click on products, and look for the Freeze Dry Guy Clubs to pay as you go. Now you can build food storage without going into debt. Choose from a payment range of $95 to $450 per month. Our clubs work with everyone's budget. Plus, when you join Freeze Dry Guy Clubs, you'll get additional rewards. For example, this month, get 10% back in survival bucks on all purchases in the Freeze Dry Guy product line, plus free shipping within the lower 48 states on any order amount. Hurry, go to freeze or call 866 404 4043 That's freeze dry or call 866-404-3663. The Freeze-Dry Guy, the best you can buy.
19: If you owe the IRS money you can't pay, then listen carefully because you already know that the problem won't go away by itself. You can get help today from the
18: leading tax expert in the country, Dan Pilla. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. The IRS isn't going to just forget about you. Right now, the IRS is hiring thousands of tax collectors to go after delinquent accounts just like yours. That's why you need to take action today, and I can help. I take a simple but proven approach to solving your tax debt problem. First, I stabilize collections so you don't have to worry about wage and bank levies. Next, I build a detailed plan to get your debt reduced to the fullest extent possible, sometimes even eliminated. Finally, I work with you every step of the way to get your problem solved once and for all. So call now for a free consultation. Call 1-800-346-6829. Dan Pilla will solve your tax problem, guaranteed.
19: He's helped thousands of people, and he can help you, too. Call us today at
14: 800-346-6829. That's 800-34-NO-TAX. Normal blood pressure, naturally. How would that make you feel?
8: I'm Don from New Mexico. January of 2000, I had a heart attack. Then my real health began going downhill and I had uh, high blood pressure, high blood sugar, poor vision, and I really wasn't sleeping well. I was a mess, pretty much.
14: Don reports dramatic improvements with heart and body extract.
8: I started taking uh, heart and body extract and from within a few days, I started sleeping a lot better. My blood pressure uh, normalized, my blood sugar normalized, and uh, my sleep really did improve.
14: Experience these benefits and more when your body gets what it needs with the assistance of heart and body extract. Order at hbextract.com or call 866-295-5305. That's hbextract.com or call 866-295-5305.
8: Folks, I did not expect this at all. By the 7th, 8th, and ninth day, I saw dramatic improvements from taking heart and body extract.
14: Details at hbextract.com or call 866-295-5305 for heart and body extract
8: are you tired of searching for great talk radio something more important search no more we are the gcn radio network
12: hello this is john burroughs one of the witnesses to the Rendlesham ufo incident you're listening to the paracast the gold standard of paranormal radio
1: Okay, neighbors, if you have a comment or a question about this week's special episode of The PowerCast, write us, news at thepowercast.com. That's news at thepowercast.com. The final segment of this week's episode of The PowerCast. I'm Gene Steinberg, Chris O'Brien's the co-host. We are at the International UFO Congress. We're doing on-location recording with a microphone called, appropriately enough, Yeti. I love it. (laughs) It's a very good microphone. It's THX certified. George Lucas gets a dime every time I speak because of that. Rosemary Ellen Guiley joining us. She's at the crossroads of time, space, and infinity. We've been trying to explore a little bit about UFO investigations. Okay, let's go to Bigfoot, for example. So is Bigfoot, even if Bigfoot comes from the seventh dimension or whatever, is it a physical creature that has some kind of physical origins, what?
21: I don't think that Bigfoot is physical in the sense that we understand physical in our environment, but I think Bigfoot has some sort of form in its own reality. A lot of these extraordinary experiences across the board are with entities who seem very solid. They they often initially look very solid to us, and yet they have uh, the ability to vanish into thin air, to go through walls, to shape-shift into something else. Okay, shape-shifting.
1: So, so for example, Bigfoot looks like, you know, a big, overgrown kind of ape or ape man or something like that or just a hairy human what does it change into
21: i don't know if bigfoot shapeshifts. to my knowledge i don't think we have any accounts of people seeing bigfoot shapeshift. but does bigfoot have another form in its own reality does it appear to us in a different form when we see it in our reality these are questions that we don't really have any good answers to
2: yeah, and, and one thing that I think it should be mentioned is there it seems to be a connection between Bigfoot and UFO sightings. You, you kind of touched on this earlier. And one of the things I think ufologists should be doing, instead of throwing out the data that Bigfoot is around during a UFO sighting wave, they should uh, you know, embrace it and, and entertain the thought that maybe there could be a connection. And the reverse is true for Bigfoot investigators as well.
21: And this is something that uh, I try and convey to the various aspects of what I call the paranormal community in general, that if you're if you're going to uh, truly understand what you're dealing with, you have to look across the board. You can't limit yourself to ghosts or UFOs or Bigfoot or cryptids or Mothman or fairies or angels, whatever you're interested in. They're all interconnected. You don't need to be an expert in everything, but you should be somewhat versed in how other entities are manifesting and how people are experiencing them.
2: Now, we had a really interesting breakfast uh, 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 this morning together, and one of the things that came up was your, your, your cutting-edge work here with Phil Imbrogno on the, on the gin. And when we have you and Phil back, we're going to be going into this subject uh, in depth, but... In the brief time that we have left, let's talk a little bit about uh, this new buzzword that we're, a lot of people are starting to become aware of, and that's the jinn, which is a kind of a, a Middle Eastern uh, version of a very multifarious type of a phenomenon. Why don't you you establish this a little bit for us?
21: The jinn come out of Middle Eastern folklore. Uh, They're uh, ancient. They come out of ancient uh, Arabia and Persia. Uh, They were originally like the wind demons, the... Entities who always cause problems, upsets, anything that went wrong could be blamed on the jinn. In lore, they are supernatural uh, entities in their own right. They live in their own world, which we would consider a parallel dimension. And uh, they have uh, shape-shifting abilities. Uh, they have an interest in human beings. Some of it's benign. Some of it's neutral. Some of it's negative and uh, many of our experiences with jinn tend to be on the negative side because I think those ones are more willing to act out. They were absorbed into Islam, and uh, the story that um, is explained in, in Islam is that um, when God created uh, human beings, he told the angels uh, and the jinn who pre-existed them, uh, humans, to, uh, well, he told the angels in heaven to bow down before humans, and the angels complied because they have no free will. But the jinn. Uh, have free will, and uh, the leader of the jinn, Iblis, refused because he felt that human beings were inferior, uh, and for that he was cast out. He and his followers were cast out. So, um, to explain this in modern terms, it would be that the jinn were here in paradise, which is the world we exist in, and they lost their homeland um, to make way for us, and went off, were shoved off into a parallel dimension. Um, They are made of smokeless fire, according to lore, which in modern terms translates to plasma. And uh, so they have the capability of being very good shapeshifters, and this is upheld in um, the lore and also anecdotal experience. Sure, the genie in the bottle. The genie in the bottle is how they got trivialized in the West. And, of course, there are stories about the jinn and and, uh, what became genies in the Arabian Nights uh, stories. When the term jinn was translated for the Western audience, it means the hidden ones. Mm -hmm. And when it was translated for the Western audience, it became genie. Mm -hmm. And there was some confusion with the, the Roman term genius, you know, the spirit of place. And uh, so we have the I Dream of Genie, you know, the goofy genie in the bottle who's obliged to grant wishes. And And we have to hide her belly button. Remember that. (laughs) That's how we think of them in our culture. And yet they're... I was in uh, love
1: with Barbie when I was a little boy. Even without the visible belly button. (laughs) You know, I saw her, I guess she was interviewed in her 70s, and she looked like she was like 35 or 40. Amazing. Mm. I just met
21: her last year. I go to Dragon Con every year and. Atlanta, and she and Larry Hagman and Bill Daly were all there last year, uh, and she still still got the look. She's a very glamorous woman. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, so uh, our, uh, our premise in the Vengeful Djinn, which just came out, is that the Djinn are um, they're not hidden. They're not limited to the Middle East. They're, they're entities that we are engaging with all the time, but they like to stay in the background. Being shapeshifters, they will use other forms. They will use shadow people, fairies, cryptids, aliens ultra-terrestrials, demons. As Sounds
2: like the trickster to me.
21: There's a heavy trickster element in this, Chris, and that's oh, yeah. and, and that's where your work comes in, too, because uh, you've documented some of these things in the San Luis Valley. Uh, and so we're trying to acquaint the Western audience with this uh, this presence, and especially the paranormal, the broader para- paranormal community, and that includes ufology, that that um, These entities are capable of engaging with us, sometimes in very formidable ways, and we don't understand them, and we don't have respect for them, and we need to have both.
1: And briefly, the book is called The Vengeful Djinn, Unveiling the Hidden Agendas of Genies. You know, what happens when it comes out of the bottle? And Phil Imbrogno is your co-author, and you and he will be back on the Paracash in the near future. Let me hit you with one crazy story that just came up today. There's a report that... The Army, using some kind of psychological operation, was using mind tricks or something to persuade U.S. senators to grant them, as shall we say, higher allocations, appropriations
2: for what? military hardware. Oh. I'm serious. They've been talking about this. Oh, oh my goodness. Was that on Fox News? <laughs> no, there was a
1: story on CNN, and of oh, okay. course, one of the senators allegedly targeted Senator Joe Lieberman from your home state of Connecticut, he denied it. So, very briefly, we only have like two minutes left, (laughs) is the government using any of this or harnessing any of this to play mind games on people? Hmm. (laughs)
21: <laughs> I'm, I can't uh, say that I'm, you know, I, I'm not speaking a, as an expert on this. I just have personal opinions. But my opinion is that uh, the government would have to be interested in how to use mental powers to influence uh, physical things and to people and, and influence people. We have this documented in science that intentionality. Look at the the work of um, whoa, whoa. There, there's been scientific research demonstrating whoa, whoa. that in, intentionality is possible. That that you can use the, your mental powers to affect the environment around you and the thoughts and Great actions. Great Graden's
2: work in Lebanon, uh, where they meditated and inexplicably violence stopped during the meditation period. They did it three times and replicated their data. Okay, the book is called, one more time, The Vengeful Djinn,
1: Unveiling the Hidden Agendas of Genies. Our guests, Rosemary Ellen Guiley and our friend Phil Imbrogno, co-authored that book. We look forward to having both of you back on the Powercast. This has been a special show on the scene at the International UFO Conference with the Eddie Microphone. My co-host is Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. A very special thanks to Rosemary Ellen Guiley. Thanks for joining us this week on The Paracast.
21: Thank you, Gene, and thank you, Chris.
1: You're welcome.
0: The Paracast is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in The Paracast.